Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grayson, as always, joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing the same as every other day. How do you tell them apart? I think that's like the hardest thing to do right now. Uh, uh, the, the moto schedule. Uh, if you do versus live, I yeah, assume. Yeah, and if I do versus. Basically, those those things, they help me, they help keep me grounded. Do you know what it does it for me? So um, it's specifically on Tuesday, but usually at least one other day of the week. So since I'm like, you know, I work from home, there's I've picked two days where I like I go hard. You know what I mean? I'm like, I get up at like eight o'clock in the morning. You know, I like set my alarm, like no sleeping in, no snoozing. Like I get up at 8 a.m. I like take a, I, I do my normal routine, like take a shower. I put on like a collared shirt, a pair of pants, you know, and like I work. And let's, let's be real. I don't put in the full eight hours or whatever. I, I tuck out a little early. You know, I take lunch whenever I want, you know, et cetera. But I try to put in a solid day's, like, say, day's work. And then I try to do that, like, twice a week. And then I can kind of, like, sprinkle in the other stuff and then do any of the meetings that I need to do other than that. Because, you know, I don't consider, like, obviously my meetings are for work. But it's mostly me just sitting there and listening to them talk to us at, at Zoom or I'm, I'm just talking with a customer, which is, like, super easy. Here's the thing, though, Tan. I've spent my entire adult life trying to avoid doing a solid day's work. So I don't plan on beginning now. Well, so like I used to get shit about that, right? You know, like when I was a poker player and a magic player and stuff and people would be like, oh, so you don't have a job. And I'm like, well, how many hours a week do you work? You know, they'd be like, oh, 40 or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, like sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I work 20 hours a week. But what about the weeks when I work like 80 or like 70? Do you, do you not call that work? You know, like what about when I go to like... You know, let's be real. I would wake up at like noon or 1 p.m. because I'm a poker player, maybe even two or three. And I would like, you know, get up. I would check my phone. And there's a um, there's an app that connects to all the poker rooms. And uh, if you've been to a poker table in the last like, you know, few years, they have like a, a digital little board right next to the shuffler now. And like, you know, when you like you bring your card and they like swipe your card and like, you know, clocks you in because you get like 50 cents an hour, or like a dollar an hour or something in some places so you get free food and stuff. Right. But it like tells people that it it shows that someone's sitting in the seat, right? Or they put guest if they don't have a cart. But that relays the information to the front desk so they know when they have empty seats so they know to fill them, right? It's like a you know a nice system to keep people in and out. Well, this app can read that system. So I can just pull it up and be like, all right, so what's going on with the Bellagio today? All right, every table is full at the Bellagio and there's a 40-person wait. But uh, what about the win? Oh, the win's got some open seats. I'm going to go there, you know? And like, you know, you pick, you know, you pick which one. And then sometimes you can game select too. You'd be like, there's a 10-20 game going on at the at the Orleans. What's going on? You know, like you know, a, a, you know, a casino that's like the pros don't really go there. Why is there a bigger game there than normal? It's like there's probably a whale or a fish or something. So you just go. You know, usually I have like the number of one of the floor people, and I'd call them up and be like, "Yo, what's going on?" <laughs> or I text them and be like, "What's going on?" And they hook us up. But you know, if I get there and the game's real good, like let's say I, I get started at like usually I try to get started at like 3 p.m. Because then uh, sporting events are going on on the other side of the country because, you know, it's it's like a three-hour difference from Eastern. And so, like, you know, I'd have, like, my phone and, like, my battery. I would watch baseball, like, all day or whatever, right, while I'm playing. But if the game's really good, I'm, I'm not going home. Like, I'm going to eat at the table. I'm going to get some coffee, and I'm just going to play, right? I remember, like, one of the – for a few years that I was there, you know, Natalie was there living with me. And sometimes, like, I would go do that, and then I would get home at, like, 7 or 8 in the morning. You know, so I've been I've been there for – 15 hours, you know, 14 hours, 12 hours, something like that. And I would get there and I would like make her breakfast or something. She's like, are you still awake from? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I have not been to bed yet. I, I will see you when you get home. That's when I'm waking up or whatever, you know, like and stuff. And it would just, you know, it would just work out. And it's like, you tell me which ones work, you know, and which one's not. 
you know i'm not saying the other one's not it's just you know it was a it was a it was a funny thing or people would ask you like my favorite question is you could you could make a living from that i'm like well i'm not oh, yeah. dead <laughs> like, I've, gotten, I've gotten that question plenty yeah how many times have you been asked how much you make i got asked that so many times at my 10-year high school reunion that i actually got aggravated and i started asking them back because it's a sh an extremely rude question to ask like a random person though i think it should be more normalized yeah like, I, I'm just so cool with normalizing it that yeah. I usually just answer. I'm more, yeah, I, I answer, but I'm more cool with normalizing it with coworkers because it's yeah. actually within your best interest to know what your coworkers are making. But, oh, yeah, anybody in the same industry as you. Yeah, a, a big one of that. So when I was doing, um, like, Hearthstone casting and stuff for a living, uh, the people that would hire you, they would, like, message you, you know, like, send you a, you know, a, a private message on, like, Skype or whatever, whatever the company is. They'd message you and be like, hey, like, like who who messages people on Skype? Was Th this thing. was like seven years ago. That's that's what we used for video. Like we didn't have Discord yet. I remember. But you said message. Like when you say message, I assume they're sending you something in text form. Yeah, they would just be like, "Hey." Yeah, they just be like, "Hey," because that's the information of me they have. Like you know, because they have my account for when they would need to stream my camera. You can send a text over Skype. Yes. I mean, I guess like any video chat you're in, there is like a chat associated with it. But that just seemed like a weird platform on which to like send a text-based message. A hundred percent. I think to like sending you an email. I, exactly. Well, I think I've gotten. I think I've used like turned on a video thing on Skype more than I've sent a message in text form on Skype. If you know what I mean. But yeah. you know, they would just message you and be like, "Hey, are you free on like the twenty third and the twenty fourth to do you know whatever you know to do seat story seventeen in Denmark or whatever you know whatever's going on." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't have to go, right? I can just do it from my house." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, I'm like, "Good, I don't have to wear pants or whatever, right?" So, <laughs> uh, you know, they'd be like, "Yeah, okay, uh, like, are, you know, are, are you cool doing this?" I'm like, "Cool, yeah, yeah, yeah." And then I would try to find out who I'm working with. Because, like, that might actually depend on how much I ask for. <laughs> if it's, like, one of the people that was harder to work with or easier to work with or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, they'd ask, like, oh, how much do you need for this day and this day? And, you know, I'd be like, well, you know, what's the format? Because some formats are way longer than other ones. You know, it's, like, best of five, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, I would always be like, hey, let me get back to you. Oh, who am I working with? You know, and they'd be like, oh, you're, you know, you'd be working with this person. I would message them and be like, how much are you asking for? And some people were like, not okay having that conversation. And I'm like, it's actually in our best interest to talk to each other about this thing. So none of us get screwed. Yeah. Because if one of you starts asking for too little, now I can't ask for my normal quote. Like all we're doing is hurting you. Because like, if they're willing to pay my quote, they are all also willing to pay you my quote. You know, like. Obviously, there's a disparity. Like, I wasn't going to get paid the same are, as, like... There are exceptions to that rule, but I think that yeah. is generally true. I wasn't going to get paid the same as Kibler, right? You know, he's got, like, a hundred times my following on Twitter, right? You know, like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna get the same as him, obviously, you know, but, but... even in that case, it would be, you know, to both of your benefits to, like, you know, figure out what each one of you should ask for and do that together. Yeah. Like, any time, like, you know, I think a lot of people think of it as, like, you know if you're the one who has more leverage in the negotiation of the two, then like you're getting like the average of the two people's leverage. But in reality, you're, you're always getting something greater. I don't know if you're getting the exact sum, yeah. right? but you're getting something greater than either of your individual leverages. So you're always, in, you know, in better off doing things together. There's a reason, you know, we fought for collective bargaining. Right. I think it's, it's not hard to figure out. But yeah, I, there are so many people that get that do get weirded out by that. So from this tangent, kind of back to point zero point zero, like where we started, yeah, all, days have lost all meaning. Like, <laughs> I don't know what day of the week it is. is. Is it the weekend? Who cares? I I will say, uh, you know, I'm I'm working more than I ever have 
because I've added streaming. Lucky. And I was actually looking yesterday at like a lot of the stats, like how many hours I've streamed. And in the month of April, we're, ju- we're over 60, I think, after last night. So how many, how many, how many are you averaging a week? I don't want to do the math because so of the days. So it'll be about 20 a week. That's pretty good. Is what I'm averaging. Because you're because you're doing another like eight to ten. I think I would I'd say it's at least ten hours for verses because y'all are live for about four and then you're you know travel we're live for six. It's three hours in episodes. We're live. Oh, for six. okay, that was four. We yeah. get we get there like you know so it's at least five minutes to an hour in advance. Eight to ten another. hours, you know, yeah. considering. Yeah, it's 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 probably yeah eight to ten hours. That's a, that's with, a good range because with all the work that goes along with yeah. it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with all the, with the planning and stuff, and then I'm writing an article on top of that. Uh, and then any sort of like, you know, upkeep work I do on the stream, on streaming and any, you know, playing I do off stream, if you count all that, you know, it adds to like an actual full time job. Yeah, I'm hearing an average of 35 to 50 hours right there. Oh, yeah, which is like a real a real job. Also, by the way, your streams have been great. I've been tuning in. I got to be on one last week. If anybody watched the show last week, I know it's a weird thing for us to say because that's the first and only live episode that we've done. Hopefully, uh, it translated well on audio. I was told that it did. So hopefully it did. I know we didn't read the cards to you guys and girls. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I think everybody could kind of like follow along. You know, if you're yeah. listening, if you're listening to an in-depth episode about uh, new cards, I, I, I feel like you have, I, it sucks if you're in your car and you don't know the cards, but you can either A, look it up if you if you have a chance, or B, if you don't, like the context clues kind of helped. So we'll be better about that in the future. Sorry. And stuff like that. But um, it was it was for the time for the, the time we had when we decided to do that to right. we executed it. I was very happy with how, how it turned out. Yeah, I was very happy that it turned out. Tuning into that. Yeah, because uh, you did all the hard work. I didn't have to do shit. It was great. Yeah, you know. So add add that on. You know, yeah. that's a couple hours of work. Yeah. Um, but my point was, sorry. You know, despite all this extra work I'm doing, I find I'm like I actually have had more energy. Because I'm not getting sapped by traveling. Yes. Like the grind for traveling has become so much more difficult in the last two or three years when I hit my late 20s and now early 30s. You're getting older, Ross. Yeah, exactly. And like, I would feel like every Monday, it would be I would be exhausted and I have to like wake up and write an article and then plan verses. And then, you know, it felt like we were immediately into verses. And I, and I would usually take, like, one of Monday or Tuesday evening off. I was like, I've got to, you know, recharge from the last weekend. Just do nothing. Just and, veg. Yeah. yeah. And then I would be at Wednesday and be like, well, I have to, like, have a deck together today or a list together today so I can get cards together tomorrow and then leave on Friday morning for the next tournament. And I'd just be like, well, when am I ever getting, like, prepared? Uh, and it, it kind of caught up with me. And now, like, I, you know, even though I'm working more, it feels almost more restful because, you know... I'm playing similar amounts of magic, maybe even a little bit more now. Because, you know, when you go to tournaments, you're playing your you know, nine rounds a day, but there's so much downtime. And, you know, when I'm streaming, I'm playing minimum 10 rounds, probably two leagues, and then, you know, upwards of four leagues sometimes, you know, 20 rounds. Uh, in about the same time that, like, one day of a tournament would... Yeah, because, like, let's let's say you play in a tournament, right? Your, your max is anywhere between 18 and 27 matches, right? I mean, games. 18, 27 games. And that's if you play every all the day. And that's, like, if you don't have buys. You know, like, my average tournament day one of an Open, it's, like, I had two buys. And then, like, I either, like, O2'd and, or O3'd and dropped or, like, I did really well. And so I would, you know, be winning. So I'm not even playing that many games, right? Like, I, I think I put in at least 10 to 15 games already today. You know, I, I, I have been playing a lot of Arena lately. Uh, I have not, uh, I'll be honest, I have not played a game of Constructed since the new set came out. I have watched a lot of it. 
not standard because that kind of seems like a dumpster fire-ish to me right now, but it's like, it seems pretty cool. Like, I do like the uh, the, uh, the sacrifice decks and stuff. They're kind of cool, but, uh, and we'll get into this in a minute about, you know, about these, these kinds of things. But, um, I, you know, I've been watching Pioneer and stuff, but I've been playing a lot of Limited on this set. I'm like extremely close to getting Mythic right now. I'm like, my next draft will probably get me, you know, I drafted raw you What's were watching. Uh, I'm the the rank right before Mythic. Like I'm the diamond, right? The, yeah, I'm diamond one or whatever. You know, like it goes four, three, two, one or yeah. whatever. However, the ladder system works. You're literally right next to Mythic. Yeah, I just need like five wins or something, like four wins or something like that. But Sweet. I thought I was going to do like the sicko run uh, the other day. I was streaming and I was like, oh, we can like maybe make Mythic today if we do really well, right? And so um, I got into one of the um, the real person drafts where it's just three rounds. You play, you know, best of three. And your record is your record, and you get prizes on that. I draft. Uh, I've been forcing what I think is the best deck in the format, the the red white cycling deck. I've, I my deck is absurd. I easily three zero, and uh, and then I do uh, one of the seven win drafts or whatever. One of the I forgot the names. They each have a, a corresponding name, and then I seven zero that. So I just like ten zero, and I'm like, if we do this again, we're just in mythic, like like just easy peasy, you know, or whatever. And then the like variants caught back up, you know, because like let's be let's be real, you know, you obviously have to run good as well. You can't just have good decks and good draws like and stuff. But anyway, um, got anything fun done recently? Anything cool outside of Magic? Because I know there's not a lot going on. So any little thing, right? It's like, oh, that's amazing. You have to do something. <laughs> um, no, I had a really boring weekend to be honest. Over yeah. the last weekend, I did basically nothing. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess you could consider it basically nothing. What I've been doing, but like. I am interacting with other people as much as I possibly can, like through Zoom and Discord or whatever. Um, I did have an actually. I had another uh, Zoom hangout with my the, old friends, the school buddies. Before, yeah, yeah. But they, um, I have a group of. It's funny. They all play Magic, but I have a you know, or played Magic at some point, or friends of Magic players. We have a Discord of like about like ten to twenty people. I'm in some other ones, but there's a main one where um, it came together as like us Overwatch players that were Magic players, and now we play like Warzone and some other games and. They feel like family members now with how much time and, you know, talking we've all done. We all rag on each other in, in there and stuff a lot. It's a good group of guys and girls. And there's always, you know, you can always find something. It's like, hey, I'm getting on at 8 o'clock tonight. You might want a game. What game do you want to play? And depending on how many we have, we can we can figure it out. Because one of the games can go up to six. And some of them we can do, like, multiple groups of, like, two, three, and four. So we're always playing with our friends kind of stuff. And so it makes it fun. You know, you have some social interaction. And, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to do because... Lord knows I'm not getting any social interaction anywhere else. <laughs> I get to see Corey twice a week. <laughs> there you go. That's actually, dude, that's got to be such a bright, like, moment for your week. Because that dude, I swear to God, the world could be crumbling around him and he would have a smile on his face. He is so positive. Yeah. Most of the time, uh, it could, like, you know, I'm the almost the exact opposite, um, you know. And so sometimes you know, there can be friction there where I'm just like, you're too happy right now. <laughs> you're, I need you to, you're at like a 10. I need you at like a six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, in the last month, it's, it's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. He's that ray of sunshine. Uh, speaking of rays of sunshine and good things, uh, I'm about to get my wife back. If anybody doesn't understand that statement, it's weird. She turned in her dissertation like two days ago and she got her date today for the dissertation defense. Um, she's doing the last little, you know, like, like and- yeah i mean she's been doing that for a while anyway sure but like making sure that every time she sends it to certain things that the margins line up and the page numbers all stay the same so when you look at her you know when you're because it's like 170 pages or whatever however long this yeah. thing is so when you get to the end and like 
all the references line up and et cetera, et cetera, you know. And um, so she's going to be defending. So now she's just got to practice the thing, which, good God, practicing that sounds absurd. Um, it's it's going to be uh, interesting because she's going to do it online. You know, usually you go in, in person. Yeah. Um, I, I went to a friend's dissertation defense, you know, six years ago. Was it was about it six years ago? Actually, I think it was April of 2014. Was it a cool ex- experience? Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. I understood like ten of the words he used. Yeah, he got it in uh, chemistry. It's my okay. friend Eric. Um, uh, and uh, so you know, I took uh, two semesters of chemistry in college. You know, freshman year. Mm-hmm. So this was you know almost a decade after that. Right. And he's you know doing this super high level research, and uh, dude is what. One of, if not the smartest person I've, I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we go in there. He got, you know, glowing praise from all the people he'd work with, his, like, advisor. And this is at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the guy said that, like, even at a place like Columbia where you're like, yeah, everybody's great, that he stood out. Right. My wife went there, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, very, very high praised and saying, you know, came back, you know, we had this, you, you got a little bit of a sweat, right? Like he, of he does it and then like half an hour, you know, they like deliberate whatever the, the committee that they appoint. Usually it's like three people or something. And then they come back and like, okay, you're good. You passed. Yeah. Uh, and then everybody goes out and celebrates. But yeah, we had like a, a nice little group of people that came. It was in, in New York and just in a lecture hall and he yeah. gave his talk. And then. So his was only three, you said? His only had three, uh, like people that he was defending to? I think his committee had three people. I'm, I'm not sure. I think hers has six, if I remember right, because I think they were waiting six. on the last person to make sure okay. that this date worked. Maybe he had more. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure. It's been a little while. It could but... be different for different fields. Um, yeah. So, like, hers, it's actually, this part is kind of lucky because I think it's easier to get the six people to be there for the defense when they're Zooming it instead of um, they all have to fly into this specific yeah. university that she's going through. So like, because she said one of the people in her field had to wait, I think like four months after they were ready. Cause they just could not get everybody. Cause like, you know, you, you have to bring these people in for your committee that need to hear your dissertation and, and sign off on it. And these people are the top of their field. Like they are busy. <laughs> like, you know, they're probably all over the country or even outside of the country and like doing things. And so they're like, I'm booked solid for like months. You know, I have this weekend. Someone's like, well, that weekend's no good for me, you know, kind of thing. So this is, makes it a little bit easier um, her, you want to hear her topic? I, I have the like little announcement thing right here. I'm so proud, by the way, like proud husband or whatever, but, uh, uh, it just moved. Sorry. It's, uh, Latina immigrant mothers experience of early intervention with their deaf children. That is the, the layman terms, uh, title. So are you typing this out? No, I was, uh, oh yes. I found, I found they, Eric's thesis defense is actually on YouTube. So I wanted to get his, his, his title. I'm assuming someone's going to record this because I hope they do because I want to be able to show my kids this one day because this is going to be really cool. You know, um, Here, hold on, hold on. Go Eric's thesis was catalyst designed with cyclopropenium ions. I knew the first two words and obviously I knew what the word ion is, but I couldn't like give you a, defini- yeah, a definition. Like cyclopropenium. I don't know what that is. I couldn't spell sort of that. If, I, if you put a gun to my head and you're like, spell this word, I'd be like, dude, just save us both the six seconds. Just pull the trigger. <laughs> Or whatever, but uh, yeah. So I'm super excited about it. It'll be on the uh, 29th at 3 p.m. I'm uh, I'm uh, really really excited about this, but I can't decide. Like, I'm so nervous about this thing. It, she's gonna pass. Like, obviously, you know what I mean. Like, 
Yeah. You know, you Once said you there's... to that point, I think it's pretty hard to know. Well, there's a... You know, they say that there's a sweat. There's not really a... You know if there's going to be, like, a chance for you to fail this. Like, it also reflects really badly on them if you fail. So, like, they... they they want you to pass, so they've been helping you along, right? This yeah. isn't the first time they've heard your shit. Like, you've, you've been sending them pieces of this, and they've been helping you out. At least that's the way this works out or whatever. But um, I can't decide if I want to, like... A, if I, try to, if I try to watch and listen to it live, I don't know if I'm going to understand half of what's going on. But B, like, I'm going to be a nervous wreck. It's going to be like... Like, uh, did I, did I joke with you about, you know, like, uh, you know, LSU won the national title this year back when we had sports. You know, they won the national title in football. I don't think I sat down the entire game. Like, I'm just a nervous ball of energy when that's going on. Like, watching you in your top eights or, like, watching someone else's match. Like, you know the you know the matches you always bring up? Um, One of our finals losses during the semifinals, you, like, mulliganed to four. And then you, like, won and we got to go play in the finals. Like, I think I had lost my match and Brennan had won his or whatever. Um, I think, Do you remember that, like, I had to go use the restroom? During yeah, your... you just walked away. Yeah, well, I, I asked to use the restroom. I was like, hey, I have, I have to use the restroom. I need to, I need to go. Is that okay? I kind of need to use the restroom. I just couldn't take it anymore. Like, I just, I couldn't watch what was going on. I, I I think I asked you, I was like, hey, do you need me? And you're like, nah, or whatever. And I was just like, oh, yeah. No, I knew, I knew what was going on. Yeah, I just, I literally could not sit in the seat anymore. I was going to be a fucking wreck. Like, I was going to, like, pull some hair out or something. Like, because that day, that weekend was, like, very nerve wracking. I don't know why, but, like, (laughs) probably because you basically had to win every round for us to win matches. Because I would just turn over and be like, are you up or down? You're like, I'm up. I'm like, well, I'm down. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, gotta gear up. Is that, is that one of the weekends where, that was one of the weekends where Brennan had a good deck. Okay. Oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was of all the day of all the might have been his events best. we've played as a team. That was the best deck I think he's had. Yeah, the the blue black one, the blue black yeah, mid range deck. Yeah. Like he was that that deck was very good. He was like on his game that weekend. Yeah. He he went like X three in that tournament. Yeah. I also went X three in that tournament, but all of mine were televised and uh, yeah. it looked real bad because those were the only games. That's the only time I was on camera. I just got stomped or whatever but including his call shot in the quarterfinals yeah we were 1-1 I'll, t- I'll tell a story but we're sure. 1-1 and brennan's you know playing this really long game i can't remember exactly what deck his opponent was playing but like some mid-range deck i said we were super far behind like the whole time yeah. yeah and he's like you know just scraping by staying in staying in staying in and it finally looks like he's gonna turn the corner and he just needs his opponent to like brick for one turn and his opponent just hits like seven straight gassers and but Brennan, like you know, all all of the those top decks, Brennan's keeping with them, but it's still maintaining parity. But he hasn't gained a ton of traction, and eventually the game gets pretty stalemated into like this late game top deck. This is the deciding game of the match, by yeah, the way. Yeah, the deciding game of the match where you know, and Brett, like Tannen and I are you know nervous wrecks sitting off the side watching him, and he just calmly untaps you know his like fourteen lands or something and goes, this is where we draw the scarab god and just flips it off the top of his deck face up, scarab god. Uh, we, I went nuts. My <laughs> chair ended up like five feet away because I like I jumped yeah. up out of my chair and like I remember because um I think your and I matches both went fast right or like relatively fast. I got I got turn two terminus to my yeah. like elves so yeah. like turn three just miracled so. And I just yeah. remember because um. Because we were we were uh, we were not the camera match that round. We were still playing on the side, and we interrupted like every other match of the feature match. I felt bad about it because because <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't just us. The other team also had a loud exclamation. Like I think the dude like not in a salty way, but it was just like damn, and, like hit the table because the games were absurd. Like yeah, I know all my games very, are really good. Well game for both sides. Yeah, you had a shit match. I remember my match. I think it was a Delver Mirror, and it was like a very intent dealt like in like no one just got wastelanded, dazed out. Like we played games, you know. And you've yeah. seen those. Those are some of the best magic you get to play, period. So, and, uh, 
Brandon and his called shots. For for those who don't know, the the very first time we played as a team, I was playing Blue Moon in in the modern seat, and we're six seven one last round of the day, and I'm playing against Ironworks. Um, Before it was even like quote unquote Ironworks, it was like the first tournament I'd ever seen it at. Yeah. Right as it right as it was it was becoming a thing, but before Matt Nass like really you know yeah. showed everybody that it was insane. Um, and I'm playing against it. My matchup's pretty good, and I won game one. And in game two, my opponent managed to resolve like an early gear poor aether grid, and I just like didn't have the pressure to be able to overcome it. But I like tried to play it out, and I I actually did like come close to getting back in the game, but ultimately didn't. But I wasted a ton of time, and I kind of felt bad about that because we had very little time on the clock for game three, and so I played kind of aggressively. And in doing so, my opponent was able to resolve an early ironworks, and you know I was you know kicking myself because I thought if I just had like had more time this game, I could have been more patient, and maybe you know, uh, and this game is probably going to turn out to a loss. But you know, Brett, like one, what, this is when the ironworks comes down, like turn four. And then Brennan just leans over to me and whis- literally whispers into my ear, I would draw a braid here. And I just rip a braid off the top of my deck, kill the ironworks, and then like... Your reaction was so priceless, by the way, because <laughs> like you, you draw a braid and you put it in your hand, right? And it takes you like half a second to realize, yes, that's a braid, right? So you're just like incredulously <laughs> looking at it. And then you like look at Brennan and you like look back at... And you look at me and I just go, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm like I don't know. I lost you know, track like, of what's This is on. the first time we played together. Yeah. We've been you know teaming together on uh, uh, BCW for a couple months. But still, like, we didn't know each other nearly as well as we do now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just like, is he magic? <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. Is this is how this y'all win so much? To win magic yeah. tournaments? Yeah. Like, is this how y'all win uh, so much? He just knows what the top card of his deck is? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Is, is my card marked? Is he like, cheating? Like, yeah. I'm just so worried about everything. Yeah. But it's like, okay, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great top deck. Let's go. And uh, and pulled that, that match out. So we got to be 8-1 going into the second day. It was great. Um, uh, so before we get into the the real part of the show, which we need to do soon or whatever, but yeah. other than that, I've been trying to exercise as much as I can, like get outside, get some sun, walk around. I've taken the first step in that regard, and that is thinking about doing it. I've been thinking about doing it for years, Ross. You could you could you could think about doing it for a long time, and I did. Yeah, it. I thought about doing it, and then I actually took a second step. I actually ordered one of those pull up bars that like goes in the door frame. I can't see you doing a pull up. I just can't. Oh, oh I can't. Yeah. So I I have one, but and I have like a perfect space for it, and it's there. But and the the bar said like it you know it fits this like huge range of things, but for some reason it like barely is too small to fit in the inner part of the door frame, and like just too uh, uh, short to fit in the wider part of the door frame, and I don't know how it just like doesn't sit flush and stay level so i basically and it like can't really go into any other of my door frames i don't know how my house my apartment is built so awkwardly but for some reason it literally just doesn't fit in any door frame in my apartment sounds like a good excuse to never do a pull-up exactly so after once that happened i took it as a sign that i should never exercise ever (laughs) so i stopped thinking about it but now i've started again i think i think i could do a pull-up right now if i had to like possibly two, but I'm talking about, you know, when I was in better shape, I could have done a ton back in the day, you know, like I'm not very heavy. Maybe, so I think maybe I could do one. I was never not sure. I never had a lot of what they call, uh, what's the word for it? Yeah. Upper body strength. I never had a lot of that. So yeah. <laughs> I was no, a runner. Every, everything I did was in the legs. Yeah. Yeah. Running, I was I could, but I'm I definitely could actually run. Okay. So uh, 
I'm putting on the COVID-5, if you haven't heard about that, maybe to the COVID-15. Like, I'm getting a little chubby, get a little bit, because, like, it's hard not to snack when you're here all day. <laughs> and then I just yeah, keep I buying. I don't keep that many snacks around my apartment. That's, that's the problem, Ross. I keep buying more. I can't stop, right? Do you know how good M&Ms are? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta stop the that you know at the grocery store. Like I like I just randomly out of a whim the other day bought this this certain kind of candy. It's like so it's a Reese cup, but it's a Reese cup thin. So it's like maybe half of a normal Reese cup. I don't know. I don't eat Reese cups very much, but it's like you know the little individual packets. You get a ton of them because it's like a half, right? But it's dark chocolate. I like dark chocolate a lot, right? And so it's just this little packet of it. And you're like, oh, it's not that much. It's like this little bitty thing. I just eat like five of them a day, Ross. Because <laughs> there's <laughs> I just keep buying this, it because they're sounds, so good. This sounds like me when I go home for Christmas. I usually spend like a week, week and a half back in my parents' place in Connecticut. And over that time, my family like gets into Christmas. Owned a Christmas tree farm when I was growing yeah. up. My mom loves Christmas. And the thing they've been doing for the last like, you know, five, ten years is she and my older sister will just bake lots of Christmas cookies. That sounds Basically, awful. Basically, like the entire month of December. That, how do you bake, survive? trying out different recipes. Like, almost like twice a week, there's like a new batch of cookies being made, at least. And so, the, and they're just everywhere around the house. So, like, as I'm walking by different tables, there's just cookies like, everywhere. Those? And I'm what just grabbing those? them off. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, during that week, week and a half, I'm not kidding you. I have to eat at least five dozen cookies. Yeah. And I'm... And it's easily, it's at least twice as many cookies as I eat during the rest of the year combined. I've, I've eaten a dozen cookies over the last, like, 30 hours. <laughs> and I'm not talking small cookies. It's like, I went I went to the grocery for, like, this time, you know, the one time this month or whatever. And they make a cookie, like, in the, in the like, the the food section, you know, that they make there. They, they make a certain cookie there. It's called, like, an Almond Joy cookie. And it's just, like, that is my shit. Like that cookie is so it's like normal cookie, right? And then they put yeah. uh, coconut, coconut, and then chocolate in it, and like I think sometimes they add like a little bit of a like some kind of a nut are, to it. I'm not are sure. the almonds whole, chopped, or sliced? I, I think they're like very like finely chopped because like it's it's smaller. It's pieces. Yeah, it's like okay. little pieces, so you don't just get a giant almond, you know? Okay. So the, the co- it, it helps keep yeah. the cookie soft. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't chewier. want whole almonds. I wanted either sliced or chopped. Ross, and I'm not sure which one. Like actually, I here's what I want. I want them to put chopped, the finely chopped ones in the dough. And then when you, you know, when you scoop them out, put them on the sheet, put some slivered almonds right on the top. Yeah, just like sprinkle it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. Like the meat salt guy, just like, just like a little sprinkle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lie though. I have to go out grocery shopping again pretty soon. I'm going to do it, you know, probably tomorrow. Um, and on the, my list, which I've been building over the last couple of days, is a pie. And I do not plan on buying one of those like mini pies that you can get. Full I'm pie. I'm going to buy a full pie. What kind of pie are we getting? Um, I mean, it'll depend, you know, what the selection looks like. But I'm, I generally go for fruit pies. Uh-huh. Um, so something like blueberry is my favorite. It's really funny. I have blueberry, blueberry. I probably can't resist. I have blueberry pie filling like on my counter right now. We're talking about baking a pie like. Because I was about to ask you about it. Like, I'll just send you a picture of the one we make. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. But yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm going to buy a full pie. And, and I'll probably eat it over the course of three days. Yeah, exactly. It's every meal. Like, I think I've been having cookies for breakfast. Like, I'm not lying. But uh, <laughs> we have a really good bakery close to here that makes absurd pies. And I got one for Thanksgiving this year. And I went home and, like, you know, brought it out for Thanksgiving. Everybody was there and I took a piece of it. And I immediately uh, ordered another one. Like, I just went online and ordered another <laughs> one. So it's a, it's a pecan pie, but they do it with dark chocolate. Oh, yeah. It is so good. 
It's so uh, rich. Um, among among non-fruit pies, pecan is number yeah. one on my list. It's so rich is the problem. Like, if you have, like, three slices of it, you might die. Yeah, so, like, I mean, pecan is already normally rich. Yeah. You've got the chocolate in there, too. But, but that, um, that's, like, that's my that. thing. I like rich, salty stuff. I don't like sour. I don't like super sweet. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, like, I don't like straw. You know, like, strawberry kind of stuff or, like, tart. Well, that's why you need the rhubarb in your strawberry pies. The rhubarb balances the sweetness. See, I didn't need to get, I need to get into that stuff more or whatever. But anyway... Uh, there was some magic played this weekend, and uh, boy, I hope you like Companions. <laughs> if you have not been keeping up with what's going on at the competitive scene, they Ross, they might have messed up. Well, they almost certainly messed up with with one of them. For sure. And I gotta say, good job, us. Yeah. I, I think I'll spoil it. Sure. You know, if you missed last week's live show when Tana and I went over our uh, top eight cards for, from Ikoria for Pioneer... We both had Luris of the Dream Den at the top of our lists, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, Luris. I'm. I think Luris won every single challenge last. Excuse me, last week. Yeah, I didn't check on exactly that. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I had something I wanted to read on the show. Uh, Ross kind of heard this as well. Uh, just to give you an overview of how the challenges went this weekend on Magic Online for for companions, and I'm not going to name every single one, but I'm going to give you kind of like an overarching. I'm going to give you like. The, the cliff notes of what happened this weekend, right? Like, just so you, you just so you could understand and get, like, a mental picture of, like, what happened here. But uh, first and second in the Vintage Challenge. And the, we're going to come back to this, by the way, in the Vintage yeah. Challenge. I mean, have you played Luris with a Black Lotus, Tannen? Um, no, I haven't cast either one of those cards, Ross. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to. But anyway, um, first through fourth in the Legacy Challenge. There, there were more, by the way. Uh, the entire top eight of the modern challenge, all of them, right? Uh, first through fourth in the pioneer challenge, there were more, by the way, fifth place was also, and then six of the eight slots in the standard challenge. And then, uh, like Lotus box had a big tournament this weekend. It was completely dominated by Luris. Um, also fun thing. So not only are companions making a problem in constructive formats because they're very good, they're also messed up online. Have you heard about this? All the problems well, that are going yeah, on. Yeah, you're you're not allowed to play Gyruda. That's, um, is Magic that Gigan right now? I, I can't keep each one has two names. Is, or is that Gigan? Is Gigan? Gigan, whatever. You're right. Um. So that that one is just temporarily banned on Magic Online. Right. Uh. The even the even one. Um. I have personally received two compensations from Magic Online in the last three days, like since Ikoria was released. I have filed for compensation twice and been reimbursed twice due to two bugs, both with um, both with Luris. The first time I had Wear Tear in my sideboard, which not only like yeah it has CMC three, but it's a non creature card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, yeah, so it just doesn't matter. But when I sideboarded in my Wear Tears, didn't get the option to use Luris as my companion. Oh shit, that was rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whoops. <laughs> And then uh, also had an opponent cast a Walking Ballista for X equals 3 from the graveyard with Luris and successfully be able to do that. That's the one that I wanted to bring up. Uh, so yeah. the, the Vintage Challenge, someone had a picture of the finals or whatever, and the person has like a, a Luris in play, and they're just casting like a 5-5 Ballista or like a 5-5 Stone Cold Serpent from the graveyard or whatever. And they're like, what's going on with this? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flurry of pictures. It's, it, it's my typical favorite Twitter thing where they they have a picture and they have 
you know, they have a picture of the thing, right, of the board. Then they have a picture of the game log showing you that it got cast from the graveyard, you know, X equals five or whatever, ten. And then the third one is the ruling of, like, you can't do this. Like, it sh this should not be a thing. Like, you can only do it for, for X equals two or whatever. And my favorite thing is almost every Twitter response is, um, but um, actually, like, that's not how X works. And that's not blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like people telling him he's wrong. It's like, did you did you did you look at the third picture? Like, there's specifically a rule in the rule book that says you cannot do this. You do this in real life. They will not let you and stuff. So that card's also just templated incorrectly on Magic Online. Plus, when they added the cards in, did you hear about what happened in, like, Modern and stuff? It broke Magic Online. Yeah, like, banned cards were legal for, like, an hour. Yeah, like, somebody had a picture of it, and they were like, I, I asked, they're like, legit, I believe they were like, I submitted an older version of, um, because, you know, it allowed them to do it. It didn't say, like, this deck is banned or whatever. And they submitted an older version of Amulet, and they just, like, cast once upon a time, and then, like, three turns later, or no, 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 they did something to, like, dredge or something, you know, like, they put a bunch of cards in their graveyard, and like once upon a time was just there. And they're like, you can see in the chat, he goes, there's a once upon a time in my deck. And the other guy's like, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, what's up with that? And he's like, I don't know. They let me join the league. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Maybe I should ask somebody about this. I don't know what's going on. Well, that got fixed pretty fast. But so hopefully Magic Online works correctly in the next week. Well, the, uh, the, the walking ballista compensation I filed was last night and it got refunded today. <laughs> so as of you know midnight last night it was not fixed i'm sure it's not an easy fix i'm sure they have to go in and like check every freaking line of the code and there it could probably have like outside interference from something you know like they probably uh, have to like I, I don't i will not pretend to understand yeah. how any of this nonsense i'm sure works. it's not just an a plus b equals c thing you know what i mean like yeah, yeah i'm sure there's they're, more they're to not it. just like going to line seven million and changing a two to a three or something it's like oh we yeah. forgot a comma you know or something yeah right? i forgot the that decimal. was always my problem when i did coding i always forgot fucking colons at the end of lines doing python i don't i never did code yeah i'm not I just, just <sighs> needed colons right all the time and i would just miss one in line 35 and then everything else would be fine but it just wouldn't work and I'd be like, and for some reason, even though like Python makes it very easy to find your errors, and I still just like couldn't understand what it was telling me. Yeah, when you say Python to me, I just think it's a line where that was wrong, yeah. and you still had no idea. Yeah, and then you know, I would I would call the the same friend who who has a PhD in chemistry. I would literally call him over uh, because he lived right next in the dorm next to me, and be like, Eric, my code won't compile. Eric, I'm dumb. Over, look look at look at it a Sunday afternoon. Because, you know, our coding homework was due Sunday evening. Um, and you look at it, like, you're missing a colon in this line. Fuck me. <laughs> I would just, just get a note card weekend. and write, you're missing a colon on it. And just, like, paste it to my computer or whatever. But uh, it was horrible. So, anyway, there, but... were, there were two big tournaments for Pioneer this weekend that yeah. happened online. And the first one we're going to talk about was a super qualifier that went on. And, uh, well, Lurus took this one down. Uh, big surprise here. And the strategy that took it down is a strategy that's actually working in multiple formats. This seems to be what a lot of people think it might be one of the best decks in modern again. It's definitely up there and it's just burnt. Yeah. And this hasn't really been a deck in Pioneer, right. right? People tried more wizard heavy builds of mono red. They didn't really work out. The mono red decks were going away from this, but it ends up working really well once you have Luris because, you know, uh, I think, you know, Burn not only works well in that it was already playing one of the colors in Laris's mana cost, you know, as Boris deck has white. It only plays cheap creatures, so you don't have to adjust your build really at all. 
you know, maybe your sideboard changes slightly, uh, but your main deck, you know, is perfectly fine. But Luris providing you some card advantage in a deck that normally that needs a critical mass. Like you need to find a way to add to twenty, and if you come up to nineteen, you lose the game. Right, and Luris just gives you a free extra resource to make it easier to get those last few points through. And then this build of it works really well because if you look at all the creatures in the deck, you know it's four ofs of the prowess creatures: Monastery Swift Spear and Soulscar Mage, four Gitu Lava Runner as another wizard, four Eidolon of the Great Revel staple, and three Vish, you know, Pyromancers, your last wizard for your Wizards Lightnings. Every single one of these creatures represents immediate damage in some sense. All the one drops have haste. So you can often turn, like, I, I imagine you very, very often turn for Luris, play your, a one-drop that they killed or traded for in combat, attack for at least one, maybe two, uh, and get some immediate damage. I don't know the Great Revel, if they ever have to cast another cheap spell, represents damage. They often will, especially with Luris everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then Vyashina Pyromancer, you know, just does immediate damage with the trigger. So it really does just represent almost like a burn spell. It's expensive and inefficient, but it comes to you at basically no cost. It's just an opening hand. If you get hand, to attack yeah. with it, you know, it, it becomes incredible. So it really does work very well in burn strategies, and that's why we're seeing it, I think, in both Modern and Pioneer. And in Pioneer, it's elevated it from essentially non-existent to this is one of the best decks in the format at this point. I've seen a lot of people play with it. Ton Anderson was streaming with it. Uh, I've seen, uh, you know, other people play uh play with it as well i've seen other lists of it you know in tournament results so uh and i've played against it myself because i've played a bit of pioneer over the weekend so you know this is now this is the red deck that exists and it is you know almost entirely because of luris i love these copies of chain to the rocks in the sideboard as an easy removal spell that just can be recurred with luris you want to know what my favorite card in the sideboard is and it's something that's really cool and i think it's going to catch on more there's ash zealot in the sideboard and there's a line of text on Asselet that a lot of people forget. So it has First Strike and Haste. It's a 2-2 two, two for 2. But it says, whenever a player casts a spell from the graveyard, Asselet deals 3 damage to that player. What does Luris do again? Cast off from the graveyard, right? It's something. Yeah. I think this is a card, especially in the mirror. So, like, you know how in um, Modern for a while when Burn was really good, everyone just had 4 core Firewalker in their sideboard of their Burn deck? I think this is going to be a card that's going to be like that, where they're like, wait, you're the... Like it's the Spider-Man meme. Wait, you're you're the you're the Zero stack? Yeah. Sell it. Like just good luck. Yeah. Like, you know, like just so it's just like your extra yeah. Just like extra Eidolon stuff, you know? Yeah, that body works pretty well in a Luris format where people are playing lots of cheap creatures. Luris is, itself is two toughness, so two two first strike, and then it's also a haste creature. So when you recur it, again, immediate damage it represents. So uh yeah, I think that works really well. If you look at modern burnless, you see core firewalkers in the sideboard and you're already starting to see an adaptation to not only you know everybody caught on to seal of fire pretty quickly but now you're seeing pyrite spell bomb as a recurrable source of damage with loris that deals with core firewalker uh you know th those cards aren't available to us in pioneer so Ashella is a really nice mirror tech and yeah like i'm surprised we haven't seen something like that yet but we will i think see something eventually when the format kind of gets flushed out a little bit more or if these cards stay legal for long enough hint hint we'll see where you know decks that have luris and decks like this like burn burn always has like some interesting sideboard cards like decks like this because there's only like one specific thing that beats them right like you know they don't want you gaining life like they don't want you stopping their only plan which is to get you dead as quickly as possible and have their spells be efficient right so 
if there is some reusable like artifact or enchantment or creature that sacrifices for two mana or less in this format, you might see something like that make its way into here. You know, like if there's a if there's something that has one toughness that like is is very good, you might see something like uh, I always talk about the the Mog Fanatic card. I can never remember this damn thing's name. The pirate. You know, just fanatical fire fanatical fire just something along those lines. Like that's just I'm not saying that card exactly, but something like that. You know, like pyrite spell bomb. You know like seal of fire you know because we don't have that legal in this format yet i'm actually kind of surprised we didn't get some of the seals in the last uh set because it was like an enchantment based set and i thought we might get something like that and now i kind of understand why i don't under they, they gave us the omens instead and like you could potentially play omens with luris it just takes a lot more yeah you gotta play it then you gotta sacrifice it then you gotta recast it it's a lot of mana because like the, the 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 red the red one does do two damage right but it doesn't like do anything spectacular other than that, and like scrying is kind of like whatever because Luris kind of gives you your whole graveyard. It's like a yog will, right? Like yeah, gives you like, I have better things to spend my mana. Yeah, on. yeah. It's like you don't have a way to really turn the enchantment into value while it's in play. Is another thing. So like maybe if you found a way for that to happen, then yeah. And like honestly, now looking at it, maybe it's not the worst idea in the world because when you look at the uh, when you look at the creatures, like every single one of them dies to that card. So like maybe that's a thing you want to do. Like maybe have one. Because I'll say this, I have seen some of the like the sacrifice decks in standard with Luris for the mirror. Now they're teching the black one, where you just get a you can get a creature back for one mana. So they just get to raise dead every turn. So they get two things with their Luris, you know, because they're trying to sacrifice stuff anyway. So sacrificing their enchantment kind of gives them a little extra value, sure, and stuff like that. So just a cool thing there. Um, I think this deck's legit. I think this deck is very good, and it's going to be one of the decks that you're going to have to match your deck up against in the format. You know what I mean, like. Think about, think about Pioneers early as like, what, a month, month and a half ago, we were like, I have to be able to beat Inverter. Like, I know I'm going to play against that deck. This is a deck that I'm going to see. I need cards for this deck. This deck's on that level now. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily that good for as long as Inverter has been good. You know, Inverter's probably like the most format warping deck we've seen because it stayed legal the longest in winning in this format. I think this one's going to be very good going forward as long as Luris is legal, and you're going to have to prepare for this. So we're going to start seeing some new cards show up, uh, you know, some life gain, maybe some creatures that can gain life and actually block. We'll see. Yeah. You know. Exile-based removal, like Magma Spray. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say that earlier. I was, I was expecting Magma Spray a little bit more and didn't really see it. Um, I'm actually a big fan of the deck that came in second place in this tournament. I think I sent this to you earlier this week, and it was... Uh, championed by a really big time streamer yama killer really famous for streaming like he plays every challenge during the weekends i mean every challenge and then streams all of it so he's like quad streaming you know just like running through all the games like he's, he's a nut right he's also just very 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 good uh he did something really cool last weekend too when the new set came out since like less and less people are playing mtgo and the sets on arena even more now with real drafts the cards have a little more value especially when they first come out because you can't get them yet and you can only get them out of chests. He opened like 500 and something chests at one time. He like tried to crash arena. So he just like literally right click uh, opened all. And I watched him do it. And it's really funny because they sort it by like rarity. So like he opens it up and there's like Ancestral Recall, like Mox Emerald or whatever, like all sitting there. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool or whatever. But, you know, he's, he shifted through to find the, the new stuff real quick. But uh, the deck that he got second place with, and are you surprised? There's a companion. Or whatever, but this is a cool deck, and I know you like the Gruel strategy. So this is a Gruel deck, right? But there's a little twist, right? It's got a, it's got a, uh, how do you, 
Obosh in, in this light in the companion slot? Is it Obosh? O- Obosh, the prey piercer. So need to have all odd casting cost cards, and it doubles the damage output of any um, odd casting cost card you have. Uh, so I I am also a fan of this deck. Uh, I will say like there's sort of two ways to go with companions, right? There's the this restriction is so low cost for me low opportunity cost that i'm just going to put it in my deck and i don't have to worry too much about utilizing the card to its fullest because it comes so easily or you can really build with the card in mind uh and take advantage of it the first deck was more of the for of the former low opportunity cost it's still good in the deck yeah. uh for reasons that i explained um but certainly is more the low opportunity cost this deck is a little bit more of the i built around it Though the opportunity cost still wasn't that much, and the real key card here is Bone Crusher Giant. Yeah, because you get a two drop. <laughs> yeah, because you do get a two drop. So uh, and Love Stark Beast. So both of the adventure creatures like give you other ways to fill your curve uh, if you don't just get the what you want, which is Tournament Elf turn two three drop. Yeah. Uh, so you, having those extra ways to fill your curve because of those throne cards really helps this deck and reduce the opportunity cost of putting Obosh in. You know, normally you would see some, like, Questing Beasts and maybe some Scavenging Uses. And so those are the cards you miss out on. And, and Embercleave, right? Embercleave, yeah, but, yeah. But Obosh is just your Embercleave. Yeah. That's the thing. So you don't really even need it. Like, you have the Embercleave off to the side yeah. every game. It's your Torbrin. You one. It's your Embercleave, yeah. Yeah, because all you really need is the one, and you have it all every game. So it really does raise the consistency of this deck. And I do think consistency was one of its issues. Um, and I've got to say, I really like how it's built... I think a lot of people would have been tempted to put some more powerful five mana cards in the main deck. And one of the things that you're going to notice with building with companions is that because you have access to them at that spot in the curve every game... You want less, um, right? You know, unless it's something like Luris, which yeah. obviously stops you from having threes, um, you're going to you know, naturally want to have you know fewer fives or even none, none of anything in that slot in the curve anyway. So like you, you don't see Gyruda decks playing a lot of sixes. Granted, you generally just see Gyruda decks playing a pile of clones and calling it a day, but and just being combo. But if you like saw like a fair Gyruda deck, it probably wouldn't be playing many six mana cards. Even though that's actually the best way to get value out of it, right? You you could maybe mill another six and get a six mana creature back. It would just play more Garudas. Like the, the, that's it. That's your six mana cards. More of the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. You know, maybe three Gyruda and that's it. But you don't want to play like other ones because you'd much rather just be able to consistently interact in the earlier turns and get to your Gyruda. Um, so this deck, you know, is chock full of threes, is playing a bunch of mana creatures. Honestly, like, I could see even just playing uh, a couple Gilded Goose in this deck just to have more of them. Um, it's a little awkward in that you don't get to five mana as quickly, but being able to go Goose, three drop, three drop is a pretty nice start. I actually really like your Goose idea because I do like possibly going up to nine or ten like one mana creatures. Yeah. But the thing is, is like when you look at the deck, there's also uh, multiple Domri, uh, Anarch of Bolas, and you're looking at there's some Clothos in here. So having a creature for green on one that also generates red on turn two could be important because you're also looking at a deck that has uh, Steel Leaf Champion in it. So you're looking at green, green, green or generic green, red, and Landmore Elves can't do that right like yeah. it, can't, it can't do the red so if you have like the double forest draw like i, I mean i i love this deck i think it's cool i could see myself playing it it's even got some craters claws in it i'm a big fan of the card plus another card that fills out the curve you know it could technically be even or odd you know the kind of synergy that that card has with the deck too yeah it's always ferocious right 
it, well, it's always ferocious, and if you cast it where X is even, so the total converted mana cost is odd, it gets doubled by Obosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so if great. if you Obosh out and a four-power creature, Pow. then just the, imagine casting it for X equals two, a three-mana spell. You get the plus two so it's first, six? that's on the card, that's four, oh, because and eight. then it gets doubled when it goes to deal the damage. Oh, that's shit. Eight. Three-mana Crater's Claws deals eight damage. Dude, sign me up. Like, that sounds yeah. great. Even a one mana crater's clause at that point deals four. So it's just so it's just it's just two mana four damage to anything. One one mana four damage. Oh yeah, sure. If sure. you have ferocious and obosh. Oh wow. If you're just ferocious, it's one mana two damage to anything. This sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could see playing more of that card as well. It seems seems pretty cool. Um, even on like, I don't hate it. Like on the play, if you don't have an elf and they go elf, you can just be like, all right, kill it. You know, it's like another copy of Bone Crusher Giant in your deck. You know, another copy of like interacting with their their mana creature. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely a thing you can play on turn two. Yeah, because like in the mirror, I, I, if like you don't have an elf hand, you need to be able to kill an elf. You know, like if, if you're like those seem to be like the only hands you can keep and stuff. And uh, there's also another creature in here that kind of doubles as a spell or Slaughterhorn as well. Yeah. So it's a three drop. It's a three two. Nothing too exciting there. But Slaughterhorn has Blood Rush, which means you can discard it to do something for, to an attacking creature. And in this case, it's plus three plus two uh, card that showed up for like half a second in modern you know, in infect and stuff when um once upon a time was legal because you could it's like a pump spell you could find off of once upon a time. So do you do you know why I remember this card? Have I told you the story? I uh, I think so, but I've probably blocked it from my memory. Go ahead. This card plays into one of my greatest Pro Tour regrets. Okay. Oh, because you played this deck not right? Registering it yeah. and constructing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you thought I was talking about limited, didn't you? Of course. No. Well, look, I ate a constructed portion of a of a of a Pro Tour with four Simic Initiate in my deck. So I yeah. I, I get you. Go ahead. So uh, this was the this was a Pro Tour in San Diego in May of 2013. It was the Return to Ravnica Block Pro Tour, and the, which means we were playing Block Constructed uh, along with Full Block Limited. So Block Constructed ended up being. Uh, pretty much dominated it by Sphinx's Revelation decks, most of which were Esper. And I didn't feel comfortable at that time playing Control Mirrors with people that were generally better than me. This was like my fourth Pro Tour, I think. Um, and I was this is the first time I was testing with a good team. It was a team, a, a young team at the time, filled with a lot of people that you probably know now. Uh, it was Jacob Wilson, Sam Party. Christian Calcano, Ben Friedman, uh, Dan Jordan, who was a sicko in his time, but now just plays poker. Um, Jesse Hampton, who has multiple Pro Tour top eights. Uh, Vidyanto Bajaya, who has at least one Grand Prix win, if not more. He's, he's very, very good at the game. He's just People don't know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Shields, who won the hardest Grand Prix of all of all time, playing like nine Cobblade Mirrors in a row. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple other people from Mass. And he was in heaven uh, in every one of those rounds, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, th this team was, was very talented, but very young. Um, we were affectionately termed Team Wilson Gone Wild. Uh, and, and Jacob actually didn't come down to test with us during, you know, we, we only got together for like four days or so in a house. Um, four or five, maybe. And he couldn't make it because he had to stay at home and take uh, final exams for his high school classes. <laughs> so he was communicating, you know, via, you know, email and phone and stuff. Uh, so my point is a couple, like everybody was trying to like find the best Esper deck and our Esper deck was, ended up being pretty good, but I like refused to play it. 
And a couple days beforehand, we got, uh, you know, online unveiled this Golgari aggro deck, and, which looked really cool. And the list was super simple. It was uh, four Experiment 1, four Dryad Militant. Um, you love Dryad Militant so much. You might continue. Yeah, four Rakdos Cackler, four Lotleth Troll, four Dreg Mangler. Okay. Four Verals, the Scar Strike. Remember that, yeah. Four of the two GG five five that had um, the ability that like you paid mana and exiled it from the graveyard. Uh, scavenge, scavenge, yeah. scavenge for four green green, right? Um, four of those, and then four abrupt decay, four putrefy, eight Golgari dual lands that you had access to. It was like Overgrown Tomb and the Guild Gate, and then eight for a State Swamp, and that was the main deck. And you, there was, like, no other playable creature, which is why you had to play eight main deck removal spells, which was awkward. And we were, I was playing the deck, and I was getting, like, pretty close against the, the control decks. Like, the matchup was, seemed super even. The deck was pretty good. Um, we expected, like, a lot of control, not so much of a lot of the aggro decks. But the deck also had, like, a lot of play to it. It was an aggro deck with these scavenge cards, so it had a lot of ways to use its mana. And it was particularly good against Supreme Verdict. Because you had, like, your creatures kind of came back. You had a lot of haste. You had a lot of troll that regenerated. And you were very good against Detention Sphere because you had main deck Abrupt Decay. Um, so you were good against a lot of the disruption that they had. And the one thing that I noticed was that because the games, the matchup seemed close, the games ended up being really close. And, like, they were all separated by, like, a few points of damage here or there. And it was either, like, I needed to deal the last to them, or there was a key turn where they tried to go Jace Architect of Thought, to, like, tap out, plus it, because it looks like it's going to survive. And you need to kill the Jace immediately to stop them from gaining card advantage. And I came up with Slaughterhorn. And I was like, I, I want to play Slaughterhorn. This Deadbridge Goliath, that's the Formula 5-5, is like slow and clunky and garbage. I just want to cut this, play Slaughterhorn. And, you know, you can Blood Rush to kill them. You know, Blood Rush on a Trampler is great with a lot of Troll. Or Blood Rush, you know, to kill the Jace on that key turn. And it actually felt like, you know, it felt like it swung the matchup like, you know, 52% in my favor. Right? And that was good enough for me. And so I was set to play my Slaughterhorns, and then the, we show up to the event site the day before the Pro Tour. You can't find them. And you know you know, there's always the one card yeah. that is spiked in price? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Slaughterhorn, not really. The card that had spiked in price was Blood Baron of Viscopa. Because everybody was playing, like, Esper decks and other decks that it was good against. It was, like, $40 the day before the Pro Tour. And I'm just sitting there like, I have no way to beat this thing. Like, all my creatures are black except for Dryad Militant. Uh, you know, all my removal is black. I don't really have good answers to it in the sideboard. And so I decided, like, I think I have to play Deadbridge Goliath just to, like, have a chance against all these main deck Blood Barons. Um, because otherwise I can't beat them. So I played the Deadbridge Goliaths. You know, I think I've, I 5-5 constructed, I think, 4-2 limited to a, you know, mediocre 9-7. I punted the last game to Stanislav Sivka, or kind of 10-6. Um, I don't think I would have cashed. I think I, I my breakers weren't good enough, but... Uh, and, you know, I'm pretty sure if I like, had played Slaughterhorn, it would have gone much better because the Deadbridge Goliaths were garbage yeah. all day, every day. Um, and Slaughterhorn was actually good in the deck. The deck was not particularly good, uh, but, like, Slaughterhorn was actively good in it. Like, I had I had a good build of a bad deck and didn't didn't play it, got scared. So, so typical Ross Merriam deck. Yes, good good build, bad deck. Yeah, that is very much my style. So uh, to kind of continue on the tangent thing, you reminded me of this story. I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to use names. And they might not necessarily be true, but it just kind of like, you know, helps the story or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But this is funny. I hope I don't butcher the story too bad. 
this is way back in the day, right? You made me think about this, about the cards at, pro, like, people who've never played at a Pro Tour, there's usually, like, one vendor on site, and they usually don't bring commons on commons, right? And stuff, so. Um, but this one's about vendors back in the day who just, like, no one did that. Like, like I remember there was a Grand Prix once where naturalizes were 10 or $15. Like, the first time it got, like, the first time it was legal, because Astral Slide, like, became a deck that weekend, and naturalized it just got printed for the first time, and so people were just busting packs, trying to find naturalizes because like the vendors didn't bring that card, you know, cause you had to travel with cards. They're like, why would I bring comments? Anyway? So this is a grand prix back in the day. And, um, it's the story centers on my friend, Nathan Zamora, or that's admirable. As a lot of people know, he's done some calls for, you know, some casting for, uh, for magic. He topped the grand prix this year. He's a very good magic player, more known for his hearthstone stuff, right? I used to work with him. So, um, the story is also centers around a young Ben Stark. Okay, so Ben Stark shows up to this Grand Prix. He's got his three buys, and he's got his constructed deck, right? And I think the deck that he's playing from Bright was the Solution, right? And his deck has Crimson Acolyte in it. Now, for those of you who don't know, Crimson Acolyte is a 1-1 one, one for one and a white. It has protection from red, and you could pay a white to give another creature protection from red, right? Right. And so the red deck is really good at this time, and it has those, like, main or something like that, right? I don't remember their main or whatever, but like the deck just locked out the format, right? It was like the solution to all the problems, the format or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So Ben shows up at his Grand Prix with his deck and he doesn't have any copies of Crimson Acolyte. So he needs three Crimson Acolytes for his deck. No big deal, right? Shows up Saturday morning, ready to play. He's got three buys, goes to the nearest vendor. They don't have any. Next vendor, they don't have any and so on and so on. There are no Crimson Acolytes on any of the vendors in the room. So... Word kind of gets out. Ben Stark needs Crimson Axolites. Can anyone help out? And my buddy Nathan's like, I got four Crimson. I got a set of Crimson Acolytes right here. Like, in his stuff, right? He walk, and this is like during round one, right? Walks up to Ben. He's like, Ben, I got four Crimson Acolytes right here. You know, and he's like, you know, what do you, what do you, and this is like a dollar card or whatever, right? And he's like, yeah. And so Ben's like, what do you want for him? He goes, 20 bucks. He's like, are you, are you kidding me? They're a dollar. I'll give you five bucks for three of them, man. It's like, you're, you're making a big profit, like, Whatever, so, you know, give me the cards. And so my buddy Nathan's like, sorry, $20. Ben's like, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll go find some more, right? I might jump the gun here. I might have checked every single thing in the room. He's like, I'll go find some. So he goes to check some more, ask some friends. No one has extra copies of this card. Round two comes around, right? Uh, ben walks up to Nathan and he's like, hey, I couldn't find him anywhere in the room. Do you still have those Crimson Acolytes? And Nathan's like, yeah, yeah, so I got the four right here. And like, you know, flashes them or whatever, right? Like has them in his hand. And he's like, okay. And he, and he like takes a $20 bill as walking. He's like, here. And Nathan goes, well, they're 40 now. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, man. Like no one else in the room's got them. It's 40 bucks now. He's like, look, dude, they're worth nothing. You, you want a 20. Here's the 20. Like be reasonable or whatever. And he's like, I, I said they're 40 now. Right. And so Ben's like, whatever, man, I'm going to go, you know, ask some more people. Cause like more people are showing up now. Like more pros are showing up. Cause you know, they got to play on the wall. So round two is going on. Ben walks around, ask, ask for some Crimson Acolytes. There's still not a goddamn Crimson in this room. <laughs> this card cannot be found. So he goes back to Nathan. He's like, look, man, just, just be reasonable. I got 25 bucks. It's more than you originally, whatever. You know, just, just 25 bucks or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so, and so Nathan's like, look, man, like, you know, 40 bucks or whatever. And so Ben's like, fine. And he hands him 40. And Nathan hands over one Crimson Acolyte. And he goes, what the hell, man? It's for all of them. He goes, well, that one's foil. That one's 40. The, the, it's, it's, it's 40 for two, it's 20 a piece or whatever, and 40 for the foil one or whatever. And he's like, 
dude, you're ridiculous. Like, whatever. He, like, leaves and go ask some more friends during round three that are showing up, right? So no one has it for round three, right? And so he comes back to Nathan. He's like, fine. I'll give you $40 for him. Just give me the goddamn card so I can play. I don't want the foil one. Just give me the three normal ones. I'll give you 40 bucks. Like, originally, you wanted 20. You're making, you know, 100% profit or whatever. So Nathan goes, well, they're 100 now. And uh, <laughs> Ben's like, dude, just like, come on, be reasonable, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's like, just, you know, be reasonable. Come on, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you 20. Let's meet in the middle. I'll give you 30, you know, like, or, or whatever it was, you know, like, come, come in the middle. And so Nathan looks right at him. And, and Ross, because he doesn't even look at him, grabs on the Crimson Acolyte and goes, I hope that translated well over the mic. I just ripped a card in half right in front of it. And he goes, supplies going down, demands going up. They're $100. And it's like, dude, chill out. Or whatever, you know, whatever. And uh, there's like probably some more to it, but like they were, I think he originally just, he just gave him, wanted to give him shit. And he's like, dude, just give me like five bucks or whatever. Like, here's a Crimson Acolyte. I don't remember the, you know, the very ending of the story or whatever, but. Gave him a good, nice little heart attack for a while, and th- <laughs> that shit happened at events back then, man. I remember cards, like, you, you'd see the price, like, you know, Friday night or Saturday morning, and then by Sunday, the price of a card is, like, 100% different, or, like, they're trying to find specific stuff. Anyway, let's get back to what we were talking about. Jeez, that was a long tangent. But, um... Yeah, it was a good tangent. So, the, the third place deck in the Super Qualifier is a deck that you and I thought would kind of... I mean, this was this was the obvious home, right? For Luris, of auras, mm-hmm. the deck didn't didn't play any permanents that cost more than two mana in the main deck. Before you would often see some Gideon of the Trials in the sideboard, so you have to give up those, play your Luris, and then like your deck gets a huge amount better. This takes third here. When we get to the challenge, like it dominated the challenge. Oh, we're gonna talk about it a lot when we get to the challenge. Just go ahead and like skip over to this one. So this kind of just like the bet. Look, this is sort of the default best deck right now. And honestly, like nothing has changed. Like look, this is the main deck that you, you used to see: two Ephemia, eighteen lands, like four of all my auras. You know, maybe there's more dead weights in the sideboard now because that card plays so well with Luris. But this is good in the mirror. They, they just didn't have to do anything. They just get these Lurises for free. It, like, works perfectly in the deck. It, like, you could not have... If you were an Orzov Auras player a month ago, you could not have dreamed a better card right. to be printed in this set for your deck. Uh, so, yeah. And, you know, obviously it's here. The one thing I want to say, and, uh, and I think it, it's another consequence of companion deck building, is... You know, you have this extra card, and in the case of Luris, it's an extra card that gives you access to extra cards out of your graveyard on top of that. So you should be playing more lands. Like, the worst thing you can do is if you're a Luris deck is not make your third and fourth land runs. Right. You know, especially this one, like, you know, in modern, sometimes you have Mishra's Bobble, so you can play Luris and Bobble and yeah. get a ma- value on turn three. If you want to guarantee value from your Luris, you need to do it on turn with four mana in Pioneer. So... You know, you're going to want to make four land drops. So why are we still playing 18 lands in this deck? Like, no, it should maybe at least 19 now. Yeah, yeah, 19 at least. Yeah, and there's a list in the challenge that plays 19. Honestly, I would play 20. And like this, like fourth copy of Sentinel's Eyes and this fourth copy of Griff's Boon, or like maybe cut a creature. Like, do you need multiple Ephemias? Uh, you know, Ephemias awkward with Luris. Uh, yeah, and it was like there. It, it like Luris is kind of occupying the space that car is kind of occupying too. It's, that's like your value engine that you kind of you know against the deck yeah. that's one for oneing you a lot or like killing your stuff. Yeah, that kind of makes sense to maybe cut one of those for because you have Luris now. Yeah, so I want to like cut an Ephemia and a Sentinel's Eyes and play two more lands and be very happy about it. Mm. 
So, uh, <laughs> I will say, you know, you, you said the Bobble Luris thing. They're doing that in, in Legacy and in Vintage right now, by the way, just so you know. Like, that's like Bobble is yeah. one of the most expensive cards, if not the most expensive card on Magic yeah, Online you right can't, now. Like, you, you, it's not a guarantee that you can borrow them from mana traders. No, you, you can't. They don't have them. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, someone has them at all times. Um, as for uh, this deck, I will say this there is someone who um, subs to you on Twitch, subs to me on Twitch, and is a, uh, a patron of our show here today uh goober with some some numbers i can't remember the numbers by his name but um he's loved the guy to death like super supportive guy but this is his deck like he loves uh this deck in modern loves it in pioneer so goober if you're listening this deck's for you we're gonna talk about it probably a little bit more whenever uh are you looking up his name right now oh, uh we're gonna we're gonna be do, we're gonna be talking about this a little bit more as the show goes on but it's a good time to be a Boggles fan right now because this deck is legit. And speaking of different, at least, companions, in fourth place, we have our first, uh, I keep calling it Gigan, but uh, Gudara or whatever. Gairuda. Gairuda. Whatever, man. I'm trying to keep the up Godzilla with the name. Godzilla character is pronounced Gigan. Yeah. And we have the uh, the clone deck. Like you said, I'm going to read off this deck just like real quick, right? Four Altered Ego, four Clever Imposter, four Clone actual factual clone two dragonlord uh Kolyan, three garuda four paradise druid two progenitor mimic that's a blast from the past uh four spark double four karyatid and four vizier of many faces and then just randomly two wolf oh uh, the, the the big mouthful wolf willow haven and some lands um so what the deck's trying to do is just get this creature into play as quickly as possible and then it just combos you should have generally over 30 power in play and, um, yeah, you'll just get your whole deck, pretty much. You know, because it's just a bunch of clones. You make a whole bunch of 6-6s, six and you say, go. And that's that's the deck. Well, maybe you should read Dragonlord Culligan. Well, yeah, they get to have haste, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you don't say go. Well, yeah, okay, sorry. You say combat. Yeah, kill you, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I forget yeah. that the Culligan gives, gives haste for, like, two seconds. But, yeah, I remember that seeing that with this, whatever. Um, Sometimes you can mill your opponent out, you know, um... But you know, if you if you do the count, and I'm doing it right now, I count four, eight, ten, thirteen, twenty-five ways to continue the chain. Yeah, you've got uh, you know two progenitor mimic, three Gairuda, and five four ofs of various clone effects. Um, so you're at you know twenty-five. If you do the math, you're about ninety percent to hit in the top four of your deck, which means. You know, you're going to probably go through most of your library, put a bunch of 4 4 or 6 6s into play, or 7 7s in the case of Spark Double. Spark Double gives you a non legendary Gyruda to copy. So once you hit one Spark Double, all your other clones copy that one and are also not legendary. And so they all get to stick around. Up until then, they all have to legend rule each other. Um, but you don't need that many 6 6s and 7 7s to win when you also add Coligan on top of it and they all have haste, right? Um, and, and so Spark Double gets around it, right? So, one thing. Yeah. You get to six mana on turn four. You got ten two mana accelerants. They they all can't be targeted by creature removal. Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. And you get to six mana on turn four. You cast your companion, and you try to and you hope you flip cards until they until you win. You spin like, the roulette wheel like you're just like, all right, let's go. You know, like no double zeros, please. Like even the mana base is designed to do it. Four copies of Zalfir and Void, four Temple of Mystery to give you some scry, four Radiant Fountain to buy you a little bit of time against aggressive decks, just enough green sources to cast your two drops. 
Like, I, I want to say that you should probably just be playing for Wolf Willow Haven, because I think, like, uh, we, we played this today on Versus Live, and multiple times Corey would look at his hand and be like, you know, it looks good, but, like, I don't have the guy Ruta, and then look over at the side, but actually I do have the guy Ruta, so let's go. <laughs> so, like, you know, because you have that consistency baked in, the... I think the biggest point of inconsistency in the deck is just not having two ex pieces of acceleration or not drawing four lands. So it's only a 23 land deck. Like, you can definitely miss a land drop. Uh, granted, you could also mulligan very aggressively and just put clones back in your deck. So that's another thing. This deck is going to mulligan really well. Um, the cool thing is that we actually played this against the Luris Burn deck. And multiple times, like, his chain got broken up. Because even if you're, like, 90% to hit, it doesn't mean you're going to hit 10 times in a row, right? right? Um and in the sideboard, you see four Thought Not Seers and four Dungeon Geists. And, you know, like, you just get to, like, put those into play at the end of the chain and then start copying them with all the clones left in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> and that generally takes over the battlefield. So yeah, the deck is not, like, it's not like a, if you hit, if you miss, you lose. That could be true against, you know, other combo decks, Heliod, Inverter, uh, and so on. So, uh, you know, in certain matchups, you really want to hit. But the deck, you know, it does its one thing. It does it very consistently, and if the metagame has a lot of counter spells, it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. But if you don't have a lot of counter spells, like this deck's pretty good against discard. They basically have to have it early and take a mana creature, and that only buys them time. Um, so, you know, I, I guess uh, we don't have Grafter's Cage in Pioneer, right? Do it's we? legal. It is legal. It's so, legal in yeah, standard. People... So. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. So if people want to cage you, like they can. There are definitely hate cards, but this is, like, a very consistent, very powerful glass cannon. Um, so something to, you know, be wary of. But certainly not a deck that you're going to see week in, week out. It's going to be like Dredge. It'll cycle in and cycle out per the metagame. I have two things to say about this deck. It's really cool, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do I do actually just kind of hate this deck because it's so it's just so boring. Yeah. It's, it's fun to watch, like, once. And, like, remember, like, during early access, everybody was doing this in standard. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it was fun to watch, like, for a day. And it's like, okay, now p push this to the side. I, I'm, I'm done. No more. No mas. Um, In fifth place, we had... Uh, the rest of this top eight is boring. Yeah, it's yeah. boring. It's just normal decks. We had, like, it's, mono white, inverter, and some other stuff. So let's go ahead and skip to more I of the new say, decks. Go ahead. If you look, if you look at the uh, league data... There are some mono white decks that are playing Yorian in the sideboard. I saw Ooh. one that was mono white and one with the blue splash Ooh. for Teferi and Reflector Mage. Um, and like, are they playing eighty know, cards? Yeah, they are. Like you know, instead of four inoffensive or two inoffensive, they just play four of them. Yeah, and they play four Baffling End and four Stasis Snare Main and like you know, increase the land count. Like it's not that hard to fill the deck mm -hmm. out. Uh, and you just get this like absurd value engine. You're blinking owls. Your Daxos triggers a million times, so even if you don't. It. it it, it can go off. So that's a cool way people can go with this. There was, uh, if you look at the 8th place list from this tournament, they have a Luris in the main. Just a, you know, just playing a Luris in their deck so they can recast their stuff. That's actually kind of cool. Lista from the graveyard. Yeah. It could, it could be a deck that, that that plays it in the main deck. Luris has lifelink, by the way, too. It could be relevant in some racing situations and it gets the burn deck, too. Like, they have to kill it and stuff besides the fact that, it, you know, it's card advantage, too. So... It's not a card that you can just straight up ignore. Uh, a lot of people had joked about that this weekend. They're like, wait a minute, Luris has lifelink? Because no one's ever attacked with a Luris. They just killed you with what it does. The other line of text on the card. So, Oh, no. I've, I've attacked with Luris. Don't yeah. worry. I have a lot because it's limited or whatever. It's really, really good and limited, by the way. All oh, these God, creatures so that have deep. cycling on them. Like, yeah, okay. But anyway, uh, so if we look at the actual Pioneer Challenge, not the Super Qualifier, 
hold on. There's one more deck list I want to talk about. It's it's 22nd place, which is actually the last of the X2s. And this is Pig Norton. They also were in the 5-0 deck dump with the same archetype and a, a different list. Ooh. Uh, and this is, you know, Jeskai Heroic with Luris in the sideboard. And I tried a different kind of Jeskai Heroic deck on stream the other day. Mine did not go very well. But this list does a lot of the things that I wish I had been doing in mine. Namely, lower creature count than what I had, because Luris gives you increased access to your creatures, and a lower curve. See, this list is playing 12 one-drops. I was only playing 8. Um, you know, the, And they don't have um, Dreadhorde Arcanist, and they don't have 10th District Legionnaire. They're just playing Sprite Dragon in the 2s. So very, very lean, much more aggressive. Uh, even like it's sort of like a hybrid heroic prowess deck, right? Yeah. More prowess creatures than heroic creatures. So it's a lot of cantrips with the four slip through spaces that like, you know, cantrip for your prowess creatures and target for your heroic creatures uh, alongside Defiant Strike. So I really like the way this deck is built. Titan Strength and Boris Charm give you like a way to be super aggressive. Um, so I'm glad to see somebody had like a similar idea to me. And I think they, you know, they certainly did it way better than I did. It's got one of my favorite new cards in it too. It's got uh, Doret the Perfect Pet or Sprite Dragon. That's, that's Sprite Dragon. Yeah. yeah. I'll say, I was, I was, I was getting, that one I know, Ross. That one's in Legacy uh, Delver. That one I know. Oh, yeah. So, uh, super excited there. But if we look over at the Pioneer Challenge, are we, are we okay to finally go to that one? I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. I was making sure you're okay with it. All right, we're good. Um, yeah, I hope you like Companion. And I hope you like Black White Auras because uh, that deck did really well. So, it took home first place in the challenge. Um, Ross, it also took home second place in the challenge and then fourth place in the, in the challenge and fifth place in the in the challenge so uh when you use the word dominating the challenge i don't think that encompasses it quite enough but here's the funny thing so you're like oh okay well there, there's there's a there's a deck in between there right well the third place deck is, is that one also a Luris deck Yes, it is. That's the that's the Lurus burn. Deck. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm 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 being facetious <laughs> here. So you're looking at Lurus actually just dominating this entire tournament. And look at those look at those Orzhov lists for a second. Three of them are exactly the same, and it's second place that is different. And they've added a planes to the main, cutting a Cartusha Solidarity, and they have changed the sideboard by oh one two three cards it looks like it looks like they've added two thought seizes and a hushbringer instead of two brain maggots and atomic so they you know two instead of four brain maggot they split that with thought seize and they have one less atomic and one more hushbringer and that and then one land in the main so four cards different and the other three are exactly the same so it's not like the it's just the deck is what it is and it, what it is is very good. Yeah. People haven't figured it out yet. You know, maybe we need to start building our decks with this in mind and how to beat this. And that's going to be what we're going to be doing going forward, right? And like that's what's, that's what's going to be needing to happen. And if you look at this challenge, like the lists are clearly borrowing from what happened in the Super Qualifier. The list they're playing is the list of Orzov from the Super Qualifier. This eighth place list from the challenge is just the rule list from the Super Qualifier with uh, Obosh. Like, the third place list is the winning list in the Super Qualifier, Lurus Burn. They were literally just copy-pasting because it was just too soon. They only had a couple days. 
Um, so not a lot of innovation going on. That's what you're going to see this week. People are going to start to learn the matchups, find a new tech, start to really adjust to the new world order that we're experiencing because of Luris and the other companions. Are you, are you seeing like Luris as Hulk Hogan coming into WCW and taking over with the NWO? Is that what's going on? Luris is just <laughs> just coming down the walkway to uh, some Jimi Hendrix, you know, with his with his well, title I mean, belt. <laughs> we've got Luris and Burn, Luris and Oros, Luris and Heroic. There's also Luris in Harden Scales, a la Dom Harvey. What, what, what deck are you playing this weekend? You mean what Luris deck am I am I playing this weekend? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, I know it's early. I know people hate hate it, but like, do you see this card staying legal if it keeps up this kind of play? I uh, certainly not if it keeps this up. Like, this is obviously heinous. <laughs> yeah, you know, un- completely untenable and it needs to be addressed. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We, we've got it. As with everything, like you got to give it some time. Right. You know, there was a time when Scrappy Scrounger had thirty-two copies in the top eight of a Pro Tour. We didn't just ban Scrappy Scrounger after that right some people um, said so, too but yeah go ahead <laughs> sure i'm sure some people did but uh you know we're gonna see i personally you know and i i'm far from alone in this i, I expect it to keep up some absurd level of winning and that's going to get the card banned in several formats but the real question is like because of, of the unique nature of companion is there's a lot of different solutions that they could take you know they could ban the card, though in Vintage, like, they don't really ban cards for power level reasons. And you can't really restrict it, because nobody has more than one copy anyway. Right? So it's not really a fix for Vintage if the card does break that format. Um, in, in everything else, like, you know, do you just straight up ban it? Do you, I've heard, you know, because the cards read uh, ambiguously, that maybe you can adjust the companion rule. And I've heard anywhere from, like, uh, I think the, the common one is, like, if you have a companion, you start a card down. You know, you, you London Mulligan to six, and then you, some some of them advocate leave the companion there and still give it that feel where, you know, it can't be, th- uh, you know, thought seized or put it into your hand and weaken them even further. So there there's two options there. And then there's the, you know, do you create a separate ban list for companions? The way that in Commander, some cards are banned overall, some are just banned as your commander. Yeah. Like, can we just ban Luris as your companion? Yeah, so you still play it in your deck. deck? Yeah, and like, I think so. I think that is uh, a lot of options. Which one? Which one do you think? Have you given a lot of thought to this? So I've given a little bit of a thought to it, and that was actually my first inclination. Is like, if we're going to ban it, like, let's let's keep the value of it in packs. You know, let people play with their cards by just banning it as a companion. You know that that would be my first thing. Is like because we've never had anything like this before, and like. A format other than a commander, right? We've never had a commander or like a general or whatever you want to call it, you know, in competitive magic. I I think if this card stays as bad as it is, the correct fix at least to start is you can play this card in your deck. You cannot have it for free. Because do you think Burn would play this card? I, I don't think so. Oh, 100% Burn wouldn't. I could see like Orzov Auras, just no Ephemius, two Luris. Yeah, just, in the main, just play like two. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, the mono white deck, it could, you know, clearly main deck it. And I think the card is powerful enough to see play, uh, you know, as just a, a normal card. And and interesting. I, w- I was watching Todd stream yesterday, and he was playing with the Luris Burn deck in Modern. And he's playing against Infect. And they played this, like, grindy attrition game where, you know, Todd was, like, leaving back blockers, trying to trade those blockers for pump spells, then recasting them. While like casting his you know burn spells off the top, 
used his burn super aggressively towards the infect player's creatures. Uh, and he was playing with Mistress Bobble. And, like, those kinds of games, they didn't happen with Modern Burn <laughs> a month ago. And it was a super interesting and fun game. Right? Uh, so I think Alluris is a cool card to keep around uh, in that capacity. And I've got to say, like, I cannot imagine any other fix at this point. As soon as I had heard it, uh, you know, because I don't actually spend a lot of time, like, thinking, what do I think is the best tier? And, like, I just hear what everyone else says and react because, ultimately, like, I have no decision-making power, so I don't find it really fruitful to think about it on my own. But this discussion, you know, was a lot of what this last weekend was about. Uh, and all the other, you know, uh, fix, you know, quote-unquote quote fixes seem to me to be very clunky and, you know, get away from what Companion is supposed to be doing um, and really awkward to implement. Whereas this one is really clean. We already have precedent for it. It's very easy to just produce a, like, you know, uh, Companion ban list, especially if they if they ever plan on keeping Companion around. And I think they could. Like, this is a space they could continue to design. I could see this being just an evergreen mechanic. You just have Companions in every set maybe not every set but like the possibility of companions in every set you reminded me there was a tweet i think yesterday or today that scared the shit out of me someone said well you know there's a new core set coming out this year and it's teferi based like it's it's like you know that's that's the thing in the last one of chandra this one's gonna be teferi it's like what if we get a teferi companion and it has a static ability like just just fucks up everything you know you're like come on this is too much so i do think companion is cool i will say that i think it's cool when i first saw you know a few of them and it's like your cards all have to be odd. Or your cards have to be even. I'm like, okay, well, we're Hearthstone now, but this is cool, right? Like, some of the most fun I had in Hearthstone uh, was building around cards like that when I played. Like, there was a card called Reno Jackson in that set where um, when it came into play, it healed you completely. So in that game, you, like, started at 30. If you were at 1, you would just gain 29 life, right? But your deck could not have a duplicate in it. You had to have a Highlander deck, right? You know, and it wasn't in your opening hand. You had to find the card, you know? So... It's the typical thing that happens every time something new comes out of magic. Like, think about energy or equipment or, you know, anytime they push yeah, something. Or, or, yeah, artifact sets. There, there's always one or two that are, like, I've said this on this show. I've said this on podcast before where, like, anytime something new happens, they want it to be cool. They want it to be played. So they're going to push it and they're going to push it hard. And they're going to make a mistake. And that's okay. I'd rather them make mistakes than never make mistakes. I agree with that in general. I've got to say, in the last year, you know, from, from War of the Spark on, I think it's pretty clear that they're just pushing the power up. You know, well, yeah. people talked about power creep for years, but I don't think it was happening that much. It was just that creatures were getting better, and like that was actually good for the game, uh, in my opinion. We don't need to get into that. Um, but, you know, things you know, cycled in and out, and sometimes they were good, and, and you know... You know, sometimes you could play good control decks. Sometimes you had to really adjust it in how to do them. And same with combo and different styles of aggro and mid-range or what have you. Um, in the last year, like, every set has produced at least one format warping card and often multi-format warping card. You know, we started with Teferi and Narset, and then we moved on to Field of the Dead, and then Oko and Once Upon a Time, and then Uro, and now we're at Luris. So, like, this is now not a once-every-four-year problem. This is once-every-set, which is... There's no way, you know... You, you can claim that the, it's based on the, you know, incompetence of design and development, but there, there is no way 
because they, you know they've been designing cards for 20 25 years there's a reason this is happening with the frequency it is in the last year and that i agree is alarming uh but um uh ultimately we don't really have much say in and how that happens we can offer feedback and i you know i think we should potentially you know criticize this last year of magic design but you know that there's probably a way to produce companion in a somewhat balanced way like i've heard a lot of people and uh you know have a lot of fun with the orion in decks that i don't think are like you know super format warping the card is really cool yeah and fun to build uh you know i uh, and we've this like obosh gruel deck is it like unbeatable probably not um you know i think there are things that can exist in the competitive realm um it's a very difficult mechanic to design around because it's so inherently powerful uh and i think it's you know pretty clear right now unless something changes that luris is is over the line but it, it you know the 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 ban just ban it as a companion and let us still play with the card it seems like far and away the easiest fix one of my uh, favorite interactions with this is, um, you know, in like some of the groups that I'm in that talk about magic is, uh, you know, like a lot of the, the the competitive players, like, you know, the standard modern players, you know, we're complaining about companion because it does kind of feel too push. It does kind of feel too good. It feels like it's hurting the game quite a bit. You know, you're, you're taking out even more of the variance. You're taking out more of the skill in the game. You're taking out more of the decision making and we're playing more solitaire, right? Like you're just trying to do this, this, this. And it's like you, you talked about with the uh, Garuda deck earlier, like, you don't actually care what the hell's going on. You're just trying to get to six mana as quickly as possible. Play this, turn your deck over, and see if you win, right? And there's like that's not that doesn't seem like magic to me, right? Like you're just you're just doing things, which is fine. Like whatever. The, you know, people, there have always been there have been Belcher decks for years in Magic. That's just another style of Belcher yeah. deck. Right? But one of my favorite ones is like the the people who are like y'all are overreact. There's a lot of people like you're overreacting. Like these cards aren't that good. They're not that powerful. Blah blah. And it's almost all commander players that are saying it. And I'm, I just I just always say to them I'm like go play your deck without your commander and tell me how your deck feels. Yeah, you might also win a game because your deck is very powerful and you get this curated list of absurd cards. But like the consistency is lower. So like it's the actual inverse for us now. We're used to playing. We're used to playing without commanders, right? We're used yeah. to looking at our open seven and being like, can I win the game with this? You know, when in Commander, you look at your opening seven, you're like, how fast can I get my Commander in? And they're not going to win with doing something broken with that, you know, kind of thing like. And, and you know, once you have the Commander sitting there, it changes the way you can yeah. build the rest of your deck, yeah. right? Like, you know, I mentioned that I want to be playing more lands and fewer creatures in, in all of these decks. And that's just a consequence of Luris. But that's going to make your deck more consistent because you're still going to have access to the creatures that you need, either by drawing them and having them live or recasting them with Luris. You're going to more consistently hit your land drops, but not flood as much because Luris provides so much flood protection. And then you're going to have way fewer of the games where you have too many creatures and too many lands and not enough of like, you know, burn spells or enough tricks or, or auras or whatever in all of these decks. That And that's a that was a baked-in inconsistency in, in those style of decks, whether it's Ors of Auras or Heroic or Boris Feather and any of that uh, you know, ilk, and Luris goes such a long way towards fixing them. It's similar to the effect that, like, you know, any sort of mana sink or creature lands have in your deck. When you have a lot of mana sinks, you just play an extra land because you're not worried about drawing too many of them that often. But now you're, and because of that, you're going to be mana screwed less often. And because of the cards in your deck, you're going to be mana flooded less often. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, you, you break that uh, that uh, contradiction and that tension. And you're able to, you know, get both, play both sides at, at the same time, you know, have your cake and eat it too, 
Luris does the same thing. You know, exactly. And so when I think about this overall... All companions to an extent. Yeah, exactly. So when I think about this overall, and I just look at all of it, I'm going to say this. I like it. I actually like companion. I think it's super cool. I wish they weren't so good. You know, I wish they weren't warping at some of these. And that's that's where the problem is. Because, like, it's, it's just like you said. It's, it's the consistency, right? Like, I don't feel like the ones that have these restrictions, I don't feel like it's a restriction. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like you're really losing out on too much. Yeah. Like, Lutri, yeah, that can feel like a, a pretty big restriction. I actually think Umori, you know, these are some of the weaker ones that probably won't see much play. But, you know, and honestly, like, uh, here's where I think there's some credence to the people that are just, you know, crying out about, about crying out about Companion in general. And it's like, okay, this is their, you know, first stab at it. Clearly, they went too high with at least one, you know, maybe more. Assuming that, you know, that plays out, it plays out that way. Um, you know, that's happened before. It happened with Smuggler's Copter. It happened with, you know, Skull Clamp. It happened with uh, a lot of different, you know, new things. Um, new mechanics. And it led to bans. But, um, ultimately, if you think that the issue here is that a lot of the companions themselves are too good, how wide is the space for the companion mechanic between, uh, you know, good enough to be interesting and see play and too good. And if that band is too narrow, then the problem is with the mechanic because it's too small of a target for design and development to hit. Because if you print a new mechanic and then none of the cards show up and constructed because you couldn't make them too powerful because they would be overpowered, then and it, then you've got something that, you know, just doesn't do you any good because nobody's excited by any of those cards. You just have homelands. <laughs> So, you know, I always get a giggle a, when people make that reference because I opened <laughs> Homelands packs; they were yeah, exactly. fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, like it's an impossible question to answer because you know there's so much. You know, even a small design space is very large. You know, too large for one person to imagine, and it takes time to and iterations to see the cards worked on. Um, but it's pretty clear, you know, what the advantages of having a companion are, and they're significant. You know, just an extra card a you know uh and something that you you can build with in mind that helps you uh you know significantly reduce the variance of your deck and managing variance you know has been a huge part of is a huge just a huge part of magic you know it's a, you know any any in any game where there is variance managing that variance in your favor is going to be one of the keys to winning and that's certainly true in Magic. That's why we talk so much about lands. At least I try to. Uh, whereas everybody tries to like focus on spells. And so many times everybody's like, yeah, I want to play this card and this card and this card together. And I'm like, well, you can't because the lands aren't available. The mana's not available. You're just not going to be able to cast your spells consistently. So sorry, but like that's just not a thing you can do. Uh, and they really do set the bounds of what is possible. Um, and now like you're going to be a little bit freer with your lands. Um you know, and with the way you build, because you have extra cards. When you play more lands, you know, you're not going to get screwed and you're going to hit your colors more consistently. So you can actually, like, you know, if you're a you know 26 land deck, when before you were a 23 land deck, it might be workable to play three colors, whereas before you had to stick to two, especially with Triomes and some of the lands that we have now, um, in Standard or maybe in Pioneer or what have you. So uh, these really do do a lot towards mitigating that variance. And I'm, I'm... I'm hopeful that there is a space where companions can exist. Personally, I don't like them that much, to be honest. Like, 
I don't. Uh, I'm. I've just never really gotten the like. Uh, you know, like a lot of commander people really, like, you know, feel the connection to the deck and that card they really like, and like you know, building around it and having the card always there, uh, playing yeah. with it a lot. I am a blank player. Yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, and I've never really had that. Like I've I've had a connection to some decks before over my career. But you know, you know, eventually you move on, and you know, like you play the other deck, and that's the life of, of a competitive or professional Magic player. Um, so like that draw to it doesn't really get me, and it is just like it is annoying to me if the mechanic is so good. Like I'm just gonna try to play with the best ones, and I feel like I'm limited in what I can do if I want to be you know doing myself a service by trying to play the best decks and doing my best to win tournaments. Uh, so like mechanics that are this overtly powerful and have demonstrated to be so powerful are problematic to that degree. Um, but I do, I have enjoyed seeing some of the novel reactions to them. Like, you know, Mishra's Bobble and Burn, I keep coming back to, and like the different play patterns where you have to be a little, like, a little more cautious with your removal, you know, it adds, you know, some, uh, some, uh, new, I don't want to say nuance, but like some twists to the gameplay that are novel. Now, how long they will be novel is another question. Like, I, I could get bored by this in a week if it's just the same thing over and over again. And be like, okay, we've seen this, we figured it out, we know how to adjust a little bit. You know, it'll probably take a couple weeks and, and maybe it boils down to it. So I, I don't have, you know, a final say on them at this point. I I would, at this point, I'm pretty sure that Luris is going to be banned in some capacity. I hope it's just banned as a companion because I think that would be a fun card to just play naturally. Um, and, and that's kind of about it. I, I can agree with you in a lot of ways. It's mostly because of one of the specific things you said. In it's just not fun, like having to play against it every game. It's going to happen every game, you know, because like it's just there. They're they're gonna draw the card, you know, quote unquote, draw the card. Yeah, it's just there. It's gonna happen. I've been really annoyed, like playing a reactive deck and being like, okay, I have two removal spells. And my opponent is like, you know, playing this burn deck, and they just go like, turn one creature, turn two Eidolon, and I'm just like, well, like I've got to kill this Eidolon right now, and I'm already like, you know, taking damage from this. How much damage can I take from that? But I have to have a removal spell for Luris, or I'm gonna die. It almost feels like if I'm playing a, like a heavy removal deck, like I just have to have a million, which means like I can't really be that kind of deck, and that could be a problem. I mean, that is kind of a Luris specific problem, and th that's sort of a, that could be an unfortunate. Uh, you know, byproduct happenstance for companion to run into where a lo it's largely going to be judged based on the most powerful among them. Like nobody's judging companion bait because of loot tree. The same way that nobody like judges equipment because of you know Volshock Morningstar. You know, it's just not memorable. So, you know, it, it could end up being that like Luris is just uh, you know too good of a card as a companion needs to you know, be rid of it, and the others are fine. Like, Yorian is fun, people like it, and the decks are beatable, and Gyruda is just this annoying glass cannon like Dredge that everybody loves to complain about, but it's just another in, the, in, you know, that line of deck, and, you know, sometimes we get some Zerda decks, you know, it makes, like, the Heliod decks better or something, but not, like, broken. You know, so, I, I have a feeling that we're going to end up seeing, like, a lot of hate on Companion, but most of it is just going to be due to Luris. And eventually, I think my opinion is going to be, let's stop Luris from being a companion and then see what happens. And we'll judge the mechanic based on what happens with the rest. Because clearly one was too good, but I'm not sold that any of the others are too good. Like, it's very clear how to beat Gyruda. It was obvious. And the rest, like, 
they like the Obosh Gold deck seems good, but it's still like kind of dependent on having a mana creature on turn one, and you only have the eight. And if it dies, like you rarely have a two drop follow up. Hmm. Absolutely. So like I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I'm hoping that maybe the sky isn't falling, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, so I did want to move on to the mailbag submission questions for this week because we did not do the ones last week. I want to make sure that we catch up to those. Some of them yeah, are going to so be a nice little backlog. Yeah, some of them are going to be a little fun to answer because they're before the set came out. But let, let's just <laughs> yeah. let's just go ahead and answer them, and then we can give like what our thoughts maybe were, and then you know what they are now. And the first question was from Yeoman Five, one of my one of my favorite patrons that we've got. I love his food pictures, but he asked, "What is your favorite Apex so far?" This is the cycle of wedge colored mutate mythics. I'm going to cop out with my answer here and just say all of them, but with their alternate arts. All the Godzilla cool arts are super sweet. I just like all of them. Um, if I had to pick one, maybe it's Vajrox, the Apex of Thunder, the Jeskai one, just because getting back spells from your graveyard is like, I'm, I'm a big Snapcaster, like, Turnstile Gear Hulk fan, so I was like, that's like my kind of shit, you know what I mean, so. Yeah, um, I've got to say, you, you mentioned Yeoman as one of your, your favorite patrons because of the food picks, and I already loved Yeoman because during previous season, he would post like a million deck lists. Like he loves brewing. There's like 50 or and something, would, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that would often like give me fodder for versus live. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to come up with more deck lists. <laughs> this one's a really sweet one. So, and then the food pick started happening in our channel. So now, you know, I have two reasons to love Adam. Um, my, uh, It's unfortunate to me because I actually like the mutate mechanic quite a bit. And it's just getting completely overshadowed by companion and so you just haven't seen any of the mutate cards show up and constructed yet, or any of the apexes. Maybe some of that, like you've seen C Dash or Octopus yeah. a little bit, a little Dirge Bat, but no, like you've seen none of the apexes, and they're all like cool, splashy effects. I spent a lot of previous season like trying to figure out how to play with them because you know you're looking at every card, um, you know, for versus. I I like the Teamer one quite a bit, Eluna, but mainly because of like how it matches up against Nissa, like in the context. Right. Um, you know, creating a six-power flying attacker to attack a six-loyalty planeswalker. Uh, but I, I'm got to agree with you in a general sense, it's got to be Vadrock. You just get to do cool things. I, you know, I love me a Snapcaster, too. Yeah. And this one gets to, like, buy back Teferi and the Royal Scions. And, like, you know, pairs perfectly with Sprite Dragon. Yeah. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. So the next one was from Quinn O'Grady, and uh, this one's going to be a fun one to answer. Which Pioneer deck looks like they could be tweaked to make Luris of the Dream Tin work? Initial thoughts are W, you know, white black auras. And it's almost free uh, for green black card and scales as well. Any other thoughts? Uh, those exactly. Uh, that that would have been my initial thing. I probably would not, uh, unless I sat down and thought about it, would not have come up with the mono red deck, or like I'm sorry, the the red white burn deck. Like I, I didn't know if it would have that big of an impact, but now that I see it, it just kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Oh no, it makes perfect sense. And, and we did see some of the. If you look through like the top sixteen, top thirty-two's of those tournaments, I think there was a hardened skills in each of them that played uh, Luris. We played that on Versus Live. It looked quite good. A list from Dom Harvey. Um, and I'm gonna add those like heroic decks to the list. Basically, like any synergy-driven creature deck that who like where the strategy against them is to overload on removal, Luris is gonna be awesome. Because Luris is so good against spot removal. You know, th that hits already Hardened Scales, um, the Auras deck, and every Heroic deck. Um, and it also kind of hits the Burn deck, too, which is still just, like, a critical mass deck. It's not synergy in the same sense, but it still just, like, wants this mass of cards. Um, so any deck like that is going to be r really good for Luris. 
Um, we've even seen it not not as much in Pioneer because I think you really need Mishra's Bauble for this, but in Modern, there's a four color control deck, and then it just uses Mishra's Bauble, Luris as a card advantage engine, but also plays the uh, you know Snapcaster Mage, sometimes Ice Fang Quaddle, uh, you know some of those cheap value creatures. Uh, so that that's another way you you can go where you're a pretty light creature deck, but you need something like Mishra's Bauble I think for that to work. So that doesn't really work in Pioneer. So I think in Pioneer, you're generally going to see that plan. Like Luris in these synergy-driven creature decks. You know, if we had a creature combo deck that fit, like Modern has, um, you know, Devoted Druid, Vizier of Remedies, um, you know, th that would also work in Pioneer. Unfortunately, Heliod doesn't fit, so you can't do Heliod Ballista, um, as a companion at least. But, you know, Luris is, I think, a fine card for that deck to play in its main, and we did see that in one of the lists, and that's another way, you know, to go about it. All right, next one was from Lee McLeod. Uh, what are you most excited to play week one of Standard? I would have answered something with, like, the Octopus, probably. You know, one of the tempo decks of Octopus. I, I tried to play some tempo decks literally over the weekend. That's what I was excited to play. It went horribly, and now I'm just not excited to play Standard at all. Yeah, same. So I'm not doing it. Yep. Uh, next question. I like this, this one a lot. Find your cast. <laughs> next question I like a lot. It's Isaac uh, Literal Spirit is what is the correct utensil to eat mac and cheese with? So I have the correct answer for this, by the way. There, there is a correct answer for this. The correct utensil to use is a fork, unless the mac and cheese has like the like one of the crust toppings, you know, like the like the, the powdered crust topping. Then it's a spoon to make sure that you get you get all of that along with the mac and cheese. So there you go. That's I, I'll be taking no further questions. I mean, I've got to say it's fork all the time regardless of the topping but if you have like you know, the little get the topping with a fork well enough you know what i'm talking about the little the little burnt topping that they do sometimes on top of it you like you can't get all of it with the fork yeah like like just breadcrumbs yeah. like breadcrumbs and butter that people put up that's key uh, honestly like i i really um you know that's what makes a huge difference in my enjoyment of mac and cheese and whether or not it has the crumb topping because that texture change is really important otherwise mac and cheese is just like the same texture over and over again and it needs to be really interestingly flavored you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe some hot sauce, some good Dijon mustard. These are all yeah. pretty common things in it, but it needs to have some element like that. Uh, Season not gonna your that. food. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. if it's not going to have that, that crumb topping, but you got to use a fork. Part of it is because I actually, uh, and it was my sister who started doing this, and I, I like it quite a bit. I like using uh, cavatappi as my pasta, which is a pretty long spiraled noodle, which would be very, very difficult to eat with a spoon. Basically impossible. So you can use can't. Well, I mean, not with that attitude. I mean, like, yeah, you know, if you're eating, you know, like, you know, blue box craft mac and cheese with the the tiny small noodles, you can definitely spoon that. Uh, and honestly, a spoon might be better for that, actually. Well, it's just like but, when I think of mac and cheese with a topping, it's a pie. Like you're literally eating a pie. So like you need. Yeah, but it's a pie with like it. individual elements to it. Like, well, yeah, of course. You know, I'm not like I'm not saying it's a little. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Next. Eat it with a. Eat it with a. Fork. Next question. All right. Big, big, time, big time games ask. Do you think that there's a combo deck based around Storm Herald, Colossification, and Burning Anger that will be all viable Pioneer? Competitively, no. Fun wise, and possibly winning some games and pissing your opponent off. Yes, I actually thought about this quite a bit. Uh, Storm Herald gets around the trigger of Colossification of tapping the creature because you're already attacking when Colossification comes into play. Plus, you can just play. Um, uh, no, that's not true. Yeah, it's when it, oh, is it when it comes into play, play or yeah. is it when it attacks? Well, one, you're not already attacking with the storm. Barrel. I thought you were. It's I thought it ETB triggered when it attacked. No, it's an ETB. Oh, no. Classification triggers on ETB. 
but you clearly don't know what Burning Anger does. I do not. Because it's an aura that gives lets the creature tap to deal damage equal to its power to something for five minutes. Okay, yeah. So if you, get, if you have both auras in the graveyard, you can respond to the classification trigger by just nugging your opponent with the Burning Anger activation. That makes it That's harder. That's the combo. Yeah, it's a three-card combo, but, like, you get to Cathartic, yeah, you need discard cathartic. Burning Anger, and Colossification, you draw three. There was one of these in the deck dump. It was a 5-0 list. It had, like, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push. It was Junt. It was it was basically red-black, Rakdos. And then, like, you know, the, the the Rummage effects in red to set everything up. And then Storm Herald and the Auras. So, like, turn one Thoughtseize, you turn two Cathartic, discard my Auras, turn three Storm Herald, kill you. It's a pretty messed up draw. Turn three combo with a Thoughtseize. Um... And honestly, like, th- this strikes me as another one of those, like, Glass cannon decks. Though less consistent than, less consistent than Gairudo, but faster. You know, you can kill turn three. Uh, and, you know, so you're kind of a full turn faster in the Goldfish. Uh, though I don't know how consistent you are, and that's a problem. My big issue for this deck is actually, the, with the presence of Luris, we're going to see a lot of Graveyard hate. And we're gonna also going to see a lot of cheap removal. And you can just kill the Storm Herald with its E2B trigger on the stack. And it's a 3-2. It dies to, you know, Wild Slash and Shock and what have you. Um, so I don't think it will be viable now, but I think it could be like the Gyruda decks at some point in the future, especially like, a, you know, a post-Luris or Luris band world. And it could, you know, pop up for a weekend here or there. That's, I think, the ceiling of that kind of deck. I think it's a super cool idea. I, I like it a lot. It's very fragile. Um, I know Caleb D was streaming this deck a lot and had played uh, versions of this in Modern as well with Eldrazi Conscription. So maybe that's where either the idea came from this or they both found it separately. And it just seems cool to me. I, I definitely like it. Um, this is from Quinn O'Grady. How do you think Companion will influence Mulligan decisions? Having a better six versus an opponent's seven cards isn't that bad if you have a Companion. And you don't Mulligan, you are really facing eight cards with you six, and that's a huge difference. Okay, sorry, I kind of like... I, I the, the the sentences kind of ran together for half a second there. You were saying, um, yeah, we we kind of hit this on the show quite a bit today. Um, I do think it's going to impact multiple decisions a little bit because you know that companion is happening, right? Maybe not Luris on three. Like usually it's a turn where they can get some kind of value out of it depending on what format you're playing in. Like they might GM a Luris on three when they have bobbles and stuff like that in other formats. But in Pioneer, you probably need to wait a turn or two unless you know you've interacted with them a bunch. Then they get another threat. It's another thing you have to interact with. Um, the other ones, like, yeah, you know that thing's coming, right? Like, you know the six drops coming on turn four, five, or six, or whatever. So, if you don't have anything to deal with it, like, you better have a way to kill them before it happens, you know? So, I definitely think it's going to put a lot more stress on the game. So, uh, I, I actually, I really like this question. Excuse me. And uh, Quinn framed it in a way that I wouldn't have. I think his, his point is going to, you know... You know, the, the they represent an extra card. So if you don't have a companion, like, are you gonna aggr- like more aggressively keep seven because you don't want to be down two cards? Uh, and maybe that's the case. Um, but I think that's a smaller impact than what one you mentioned, which is the information you get when your opponent reveals a companion. One, you have a better idea of what deck they're playing. You know, maybe not right now with Luris, uh, especially in Modern and in uh, in Pioneer, where there you know was like four or five different Luris decks. But in Pioneer, like. My opponent reels Alluris. I know they're pre- playing a lot of cheap creatures. So I know I should, you know, mulligan slow hands and try to have some cheap spot removal uh, and, you know, maybe some graveyard hate if I'm main decking some. Uh, so I get some, you know, it informs your mulligans a lot more, your mulligan decisions. You're going to know what a good hand looks like and what a bad hand looks like more reliably in game one because your opponent is giving up some information with their companion. 
The other thing for me is if you have a companion in your deck, I'm much more uh, willing or much less willing to keep very land light hands and more willing to keep land heavy hands. And this goes along with putting more lands in your deck. You know, if I have, like, I already know I have a good spell at a certain point in the curve. And I, you know, so if I have enough lands to get there, like, you know, I'm activating that extra card. But I'm, like, if I just keep that one lander in brick, even if I'm a hand with a lot of one drops, you know, I've effectively wasted that companion. And I can afford to go down a card, uh, you know, in the, uh, in search of a more consistent hand uh, for that reason, because I'm not going to be down as much in material. Even if I go to six and keep a three land, six card hand, you know, it's more like I kept a three land, seven card hand, which is quite good, right? That's all, that's about ideal. So, whereas, you know, and even like four landers, I, I think a, a lot of those are often borderline and I'm, I'm more willing to keep those on seven. You know, four lands, four spells, a lot, sounds a lot better than four lands, three spells, um, especially when one of them, you know, is very good. So I, I think that that impact in like shifting the amount of lands you like to see in your opening yep. hand and more aggressively mulliganing landlight hands and then getting more information are the effects that companions are going to have on mulligan decisions. I, I think you're 100% right. Like the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, I'm going to be keeping a wider range of hands since I have a companion. Like um, I, I haven't played it in Constructed yet, but I played a lot of Limited and I have been building limited decks with companions. Like, generally, the consensus consensus is, if you can get a companion early, you take it and you build it and you go. And sometimes it's been great. Sometimes it's been kind of a train wreck, right? But more often than not, it's very powerful. Especially like think about it in limited, where your cards are generally under underpowered and you're way more inconsistent because you're not a constructed deck and you're not playing four ups. When you know this card is happening on a specific turn, it's very powerful. So, I think it's going to affect mulligans quite a bit. It's, it's probably going to have the same kind of effect on mulligans that, like, the London mulligan roll did, which changed the way I look at mulligans drastically. Yeah, I agree. I'm way, I was way more willing to mulligan with the London mulligan than I was ever before, right? And now, with these, I'm way more willing to keep iffy hands in one direction than I was in the other direction, you know, where you have a lot of lands, so that kind of stuff. I've been screaming at people to put more lands into their decks for years now, like, for five years, all um, and this is just another reason. Just put more lands in your decks. Just keep doing it. It's a, it's a funny one. Um, someone is talking about that Luris might be helping people build better decks in older formats because now you're just not playing the clunkier like three and four drop cards in your deck anymore. You're just playing all the good streamlined one and two drops of the, you know, the best cards in the history of Magic. And you're no longer playing these, these crap cards. And you're like, look at this, my deck's great. And it's like, yeah, you finally removed all the shit from it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. all these bad four drops and three drops. And you're like, well, it's good in this situation. It's like, dude, you don't get three lands. They, you're getting wastelanded. Like you're getting force of will. Like, what are you doing? You know, like. Yeah. Or like they drew multiple ones. So they're double spelling and you're single spelling. So it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. that the card is sweet. Yeah. I mean, like if you think about the three mana spells that were playable in that format, even when DRS is around, it was a really low floor, like a low amount of them. And they were yeah, very was, impactful. It was true name nemesis. Yeah. The, the one of Council's Judgment that answered yeah. True Name Nemesis. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and there's there's randomly some other stuff here or there, but you get what I'm saying. It was, yeah, it was the, the show list. and tell. Yeah. <laughs> cards that ended the game or had absurd, absurd... Uh, yeah. or, or cards that you had to supplement with lands that made two mana and lotus petals. Yeah. So that you could still cast them on time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so I know you mentioned it a little bit on the show. We talked about it a little bit. If people wanted to watch versus live or watch your stream or just hear more of your rambling thoughts, where would they go? Hey. The, the best all-in-one place is my Twitter, which is at Ross Hunneds, uh, where, you know, I tweet out my content. We tweet about Versus Live. Usually, we'll send out a tweet, like, the day before, so you'll get an idea of what we're doing. 
the next day. Uh, we'll often tweet when they're live on the YouTube channel. So all that stuff. If, if you're interested in a lot of what, what I do, thank you very much. The Twitter is the best place. Also the best place to you know reach out to me if you have a question about something. I do, you know, I would wager that I respond to like 80%. So I'm not going to say you're guaranteed to get a response, but like 80%. Uh, I, I respond to you. So uh, that's the best. Uh, as far as my stream, I am uh, Ross... Underscore. Underscore Miriam. Is there an underscore, underscore. by Twitch? Yeah. yeah, there's an underscore. Um, uh, and I don't have a set schedule yet, but I'm trying to work that out. I generally stream on Wednesdays, like in the afternoon or evening, and then two or three of the weekend days, Friday to Sunday, often around tournaments on those days. Um, and then, you know... Ske- Scattered other ones, as my schedule permits. Uh, but you can follow me there on Twitch. That's Ross underscore Miriam. Um, then there is my content on Star City Games. My column goes live on Tuesdays. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so I'm going to make sure it's live right now. Uh, some They've been messing with the schedule a lot recently. Uh, yeah, and it looks like it is not live yet. So it'll be live later this week. I'm not sure when. I'll have to reach out to Cedric. Uh, but I'll be sure to tweet out when it is. Um uh, appreciate any support there. And then uh, Versus Live, the show I do with Corey Baumeister. That's at the Star City Games Twitch channel, which is the same place you go for open coverage. Remember, opens? That was a thing. Do you know we had it open like a month ago? <laughs> uh, we did not. We had regionals six weeks well, ago. That's what I'm saying. It, okay. A month and a half ago, pretty much. Like It was about two months yeah. ago. It was but I'm just saying it feels like it's been a goddamn year. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been an eternity. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you you can uh, watch us live on the Star City Twitch channel from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, and we do interact with the chat and take questions. It's a great time. So hope you can watch us live. If not, those uh, episodes do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Tuesday shows go up the following Friday. Thursday shows go up the following Monday. So it takes three, four days uh, to do some editing and get, the, get those up. And you can find them there as well. So I think I hit all of my bases uh tannin where are they going to go to find you and the cast you can do that too. yeah as i'll say if you want the all-encompassing twitter is the best one for me as well it's just the tannin grace on there uh tweet about a lot he's of the only tannin grace on twitter what's that he's the only tannin grace yeah on so twitter. there's a v in front of my name it's like being knighted you know it's like instead of sir it's the look it's all i've got i'm about to start calling my wife doctor all the time she gets you know the thing in front of her name i need one too all right it's called an honorarium yeah an honorarium i actually knew that she said it earlier i knew that word i just could not think of it in the moment I'm like, now I sound stupid, you know, which I'm... Don't worry, I made sure to correct you so you would surely sound stupid. Well, I live with her, so obviously I always sound stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> you live with her, you podcast with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's, like, really funny. She asked me for help on her dissertation the other night about, like, you know, some synonyms, like, help there or whatever. And then, like, I, I, you know, there's this part of the closing, and she's like, this just feels wrong. I'm like, yeah, it kind of feels wrong, too. I'm like, let me call Ross. I'm like, <laughs> let me get Ross to help out. He was busy, but, you know, you're one of the first people that I thought to... to... I was in bed. I actually got to bed early that We've night. We've been going to bed late lately, and it's I kind of hate yeah. it, but... But you called me at... It was, I, like I 11. saw it when I woke up the next day. It was 9.30. Yeah. Uh, I thought I called you at like 10, 10.30, 11. So anyway, so you can find me there. I've actually been streaming a decent bit lately. I'm just Tannen Grace on there. I made it before I got knighted. So Streaming limited. So if you're a limited fan... Yeah, I've been playing a lot of limited lately. been streaming some Warzone and some like Overwatch. Every now and then a little bit of poker. Um, I'll do some Constructed in a minute when it's like more my speed but i'm all i'm like about to be mythic and limited and i i was gonna try to make a run at mythic one when i was playing a ton when the set first came out but i severely underestimated how much magic other people play 
especially when everyone's stuck at home. And I'm like, I just can't, I can't like if I'll tell you this, if like Grixis Delver was on arena, yeah, obviously I'd be like playing infinite, you know, just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna play this all day long or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. So start playing some moto, play some legacy. I've thought about Delver decks are good in legacy. Again. I've thought about doing it in like the competition is really good on moto. So it's like a lot of fun. Like everyone's really good at legacy, right? You know what I mean? It's just, a, just, a, yeah. If you're playing legacy on moto, you mean it. Nobody just like dabbles in legacy. <laughs> like, I think I'll just play this format. You know, like obviously that ha- you yeah. know we're being you know ridiculous about it, but um, on average you're gonna play a sicko like every other match or whatever. So a lot of fun there. But um, as for Twitter that we're talking about, if you wanted to follow the cast itself, see when new episodes go live, we've been tweeting out a lot of dope shit over the last couple of weeks too. Uh, all these new decks and stuff are cool. So you can follow the Twitter of the cast. It's at Cast Pioneer. On that Twitter, you could find a link to our Discord and our Patreon uh, channel. So lots of cool things there. Our Discord, huge fan of it. I've been trying to be uh, more involved in it lately because I'm not, you know, working as much. Um, stuff goes so fast on there; it's hard to keep up sometimes. Oh yeah, we, I mean, it's over 600 people in there right now. It's... I need to do the new count. We might be near seven. We've had a lot of people added lately. Um, We've got so many different channels in here. Uh, my personal favorites in the food and pets section and the sports section, but then we've got every format in Magic has got its own one there. Um, but there's a couple special channels in there. There's the Patreon channel, I'm sorry, the Patreon channel, and the Mailbag Submission channel. Those can only be reached if you're a patron of the show, um, and that's patreon uh, patreon.com slash pioneercast. If you Google that at all in any way, you'll find it. It's very easy. We appreciate all the support we're getting. We have three tiers. I've got a count for you, Tanner. What's that? I've got a count for you. How many? 638. All right, so we're getting we're getting about halfway there. We're almost to 650. So um, we definitely are very, very thankful for all the support that's been continued, especially during this time. We understand everything that's going on with COVID-19 and everything that's going on out there. And if you can still give a few dollars to the cast, we really, really appreciate that. Someone's got to pay Brent for his endless hours of having to deal with our bullshit and re-recordings <laughs> of the show and stuff like that Ross but um yeah so we really appreciate that all we do have some rewards for people in there past the uh just the discord uh those have been kind of put on the back burner a tiny bit with everything that's going on it, we're gonna wait till it's a little safer to be mailing stuff to a bunch of people but lots of that's gonna be going out and i think that should be happening relatively soon that we might be able to do that in like i think the next few months and we got a couple other things in the works. We did a special episode. I can do it safely. I will set yes. them out. Don't you worry. Yeah, exactly. Um, we did something fun last week with an episode with you and I. And then we did like a stream afterwards. I think you can start to look forward to that more in the future. We might do some more streams together. We even joked about having like a movie night where we do a mystery science theater like 3000 type thing. Oh, yeah. We should do that. For yeah. Sure. Just get hammered. Have some popcorn and watch a movie. It'd just be ridiculous. We could, we could yeah. do that with all the people in the Discord and hang out. Um yeah, we should we should take some suggestions from the Patreon channel in the Discord. So, so here's the thing: I'm not sure if you're allowed to just pick anything and broadcast it since we're getting money from this. I think there's a, oh, but yeah. here's the thing: uh, on Twitch, I know I have it. You probably do too. Uh, you have, uh, you can do it. You, like certain people have been given access to doing that, but only for certain apps and like for Prime. And I have Prime, so I can just like, there's just a big list of stuff. Okay, well, I do not have... Prime, so, that's what I'm so saying. I, I have it, so we can do it through, like, my Twitch channel or whatever, or I could, like, add you to my Prime. I don't know how this stuff works. We'll figure it out. No, that's that's fine. We can we can figure that out. We'll just do it through yours. But I, I think that's just a great idea. Yeah, we did... That's definitely something we got to do. We'll say last week we did three uh, we did three cube drafts after the live episode. Easy 9-0. 
two of which were stips, just so everybody had some little fun. The first one, we did a real draft, easy 3-0, that one. Second one, we could only, it was a modern cube, right? So all the cards are modern. We could only pay, play Pioneer cards. And we were allowed to play the banned ones, like we had a Smuggler's Copter in our deck. But only cards a that were... and a Bloodstained Mire. Yeah, in and, yeah and Bloodstained Mire. But we could only play cards that were in Pioneer legal sets. So that was super cool. And then the one after that, we had to play pretty much every card that we drafted. I think you ended up not playing three cards, you know, the last pick of every... Well, I not, I, we cut four from the main, and then I boarded... I just boarded up a card in two of the matches. So technically, two to three cards didn't make your list out of all the cards that we drafted. So... Yeah, su- super cool stuff. We'll definitely, in the future, let some of our patrons like choose a stipulation for a draft, or like we'll have some fun with it. Um, if everyone a patron can uh, get, if all the patrons can get together and be like, "Hey, we really, really, really want to see this deck played," Ross and I can run a deck through a league. Uh, we can, you know, have some fun with it and maybe put a recording up of the thing too. So if people can't catch it live, super easy for them to catch it later. Uh, we're just looking for cool stuff that we can do with everybody right now that. Because you know we can't do everything else that we had planned and stuff, so we're trying to we're trying to be flexible. So and I know Ross isn't super flexible because he's getting old, but I'm also getting older and not stretching as much. So we'll have to see. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to work on that. Yeah. Hey man, I can still touch my toes. All right, not that so fast. Everyone's always surprised when I tell them I can. Uh, I don't know if I can do it anymore, but I used to be able to get my whole hand under my foot. Like the fr- my toes would be like yeah. touching my bottom of my wrist. I can't do that. Anymore. Yeah, my toes would be touching my wrist. Like I could just get my hand like directly under there. I think at best I used to be able to get like my, all of my fingers flat, yeah. but not my palms. I was about that. I ran track for like six years and played golf competitively. So like you get you get limber. You know, yeah. you gotta be flexibility is, is not something that you immediately think of when you think of golf, but like really really important yeah it's like because really important. you need to be able to like you know keep this very consistent range of motion for your swing to work and like the more flexible you are the better you are better able you are to do that because like flexibility really hinges with like a lot of stabilizer muscles and other things it's a it's a lot like uh baseball too it's like you're asked to be extremely explosive for like a three second period and then do nothing and then do it again, and then do nothing, and then do it again. So, like, you have to train your body to be able to take that, you know? And, like, if you don't, you can seriously injure yourself. In fact, I'm actually dealing with an injury right now. And, uh, I mean, I can't go play anywhere, but I definitely could not play golf right now. I, like, hurt one of, like, the stabilizer muscles in my chest area. So, I like, I, like, strained one. Yeah, right where your hand is. Like, right there. So, like, I'm fine most of the day, and then I'll just, like, reach for something or, like, bend over that you don't realize that you use that muscle to kind of like support yourself and i'm just like oh god <laughs> like that hurt you know so <laughs> that was bad yeah so like for the first few days that it happened i also had a slight cough i thought i had caught the rona <laughs> you know because like i had like my chest was tight and i was like coughing and i was like oh no this is it then i was like oh no this is actually just pain and not like you know like shortness of breath or anything. thank god i'm just old enough. yeah thank god i just pulled a muscle or something you know i've been so happy in my life but i'll tell you how that feels next week when you listen to the next episode until then thanks for listening goodbye